Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode 108. I don't have a fancy hand gesture for you this week, so you'll just have to uh, take my word that it is 108 this week. I do apologise for being absent last week, given the events in the uh, UK scene, which we will at some point discuss with uh, Gary Yowd's uh, imprisonment. The guest that I had uh, had to cancel, unfortunately, and we have not subsequently had time to rearrange. So we are moving on to today's guest, who, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to discuss, uh, well, their 50 years, I think we were talking in the prelude. Uh, they've been in the industry and space. They have seen it all, been a part of it all. So I'm very excited to introduce them. So I'm not going to waffle on too much at the start of this, folks. We'll dive straight into it with today's guest, who is an American cannabis visionary, entrepreneur, author, activist, and cannabis out. Law. I do love people that declare themselves outlaws. Um, they are the founder and CEO of the Emerald Cup, now in its, I believe, 19th year. Uh, they are the founder of Area One 101 Dispensary and the Emerald Cup Farms. They are Tim Blake. How are you doing, Tim? Oh, great. Thanks for having me. Honored. Awesome. Th we thank you for for making the time and, and sitting down with us. Um, like I alluded to sort of in the start, you've you've really been around the scene um, since I suppose, well, even my some of my parents were in diapers, you know what I mean? Um, so I'm really excited to kind of delve straight into this with you. And I'll start with, I suppose, where we kind of often start with guests and kind of try and go back to the beginning and sort of ask like when and how you first got involved with, with cannabis. Well, I was in Catholic school and in eighth grade, we had one Hispanic uh, gentleman, Tony Del Rosa, that was in my class. And of course, I hung out with him and uh, leave it to him. He would know where the good uh, cannabis was. So I ended up getting high with him in eighth grade and it changed my life. I was a hyperactive kid, uh, probably would have been put on Ritalin today or something. And it just totally changed my life. I just uh, I embraced it. Uh, we were living in San Jose, which is south of San Francisco in the Bay. Uh, and then we moved over to Santa Cruz, near Santa Cruz, right on the ocean, which is a very infamous place in California, below San Francisco. It's always been the second most liberal county in the country. And so we moved on to the beach right in Capitola. And uh, my parents, uh, my dad was a lawyer, but my mom was like an artist type person. And uh, all of a sudden we had this three-story place two blocks off the beach. And all the hippies and all the artists and all the, you know, the stuff in the late 60s and early 70s came right at it. And uh, they started smoking pot with my parents. I lived downstairs in the old bar, which had a keg room, put black lights in there. I had the pool table. I was smoking pot all weekend. And the next thing you know, I'm buying kilos from these uh, young hippies and whatnot in town and selling it at high school uh, every Friday and selling like 34 lids and to keep in three or four lids were like three fingers. You know how many fingers they were back in the day. And uh, then I was, you know, keeping three or four and we'd say, you know, stay at the pool hall in my place and smoke pot all day with all the teenagers and, uh, it was quite a little fun thing to do back in the early 70s. Yeah, man. It was a blast. Wow. Uh, so this is something I've been trying to figure out for a while. When I've Googled it, I've got contradictory information. So a lot of my listeners will maybe remember the film Blow with Johnny Depp. That may be sort of the first time that you've been exposed to that vernacular of fingers and lids. Can you explain that in uh, metric or whatever it is that we're using with ounces and grams? What What is that in sort of modern parlance? Well, it wasn't what you had is you got these these kilos that were coming in from Mexico and they were 2.2. So you'd get about 34 ounces, out, you know, 34 ounces and a lid was technically an ounce. Back then, they also had uh, one finger, two finger, three, four fingers. It wasn't very technical or metric, but I mean, for your hand, it was like, OK, how big was the, the bag of weed? Uh, but they were basically ounces 
And, uh, you know, they went by, you know, one, two, three, four fingers or lids. They called them lids because they were in baggies. I mean, th this was before any jars and before anything technical or a lot of scale. I mean, it was very basic. You know, you had only a few scales. I mean, it was just old school back then. So I'd make up all these uh, these ounces into lids and stuff, take them to school, sell them and come back and we'd party all weekend. And uh, I kind of grew up with all the, the I was in my like 15 year old range and uh, all these what called older you know cats were all in their early 20s. And those were the ones that basically started developing the huge industry that became all the sticks, you know, the tie sticks and the hash and the mm. Colombian and the Acapulco gold and all the rest of it out of the rest of the world, bringing into the West Coast. And so I started working for them. Wow, interesting. Yeah. So, so, so this is in sort of like pre Sensimilia days. Was it still quite sort of seedy in terms of uh, where it was coming? I know obviously uh, some of the imported stuff, the markets had started to mature a little bit earlier, but sort of in the late 60s, early 70s, what, what was the sort of play? I mean, a lot of people probably can think of that meme of the, I think it's 1977 High Times winners. Um, and it's quite strike scraggly and it's not really sort of, it's not what it looks like sort of today. So I was just sort of wondering what's the, what was sort of the comparative, uh, like quality, how did it present of this sort of cannabis? You know, it really wasn't that bad. I mean, there really wasn't that many seeds in it. I mean, you see it once in a while, but they knew what they were doing. They were growing females and trying to keep them away from the males. People knew it was up. And uh, the Colombian Red, the Acapulco Gold, the Oaxacan, it was beautiful back then. Mm -hmm. uh, when it became a big commercial market, I mean, you're talking the late 60s into the early 70s. And it was more of a boutique market with small batches coming in, just like everything else. When all of a sudden it became very large, say from 1976, 77 through the mid 80s, then it became a huge business where you were bringing in millions of pounds of tie. They were bringing in tie sticks, which they were tying up. And then the next thing you know, they realized that it was much better to get stickless without the, the sticks on them. So they started bringing stickless tie and folding them into these two packs with the lightly pressed and they were beautiful. And uh, so was a lot of the other stuff. But when you got larger commercial loads, it did become a little bit more commercial. But that tie coming out for years was absolutely stunning. Mm -hmm. uh, and they would bring in a million pounds in a boat off the West Coast. They drop 100,000 pounds off Seattle, 100,000 pounds off Portland, 100,000 pounds off, you know, Eureka and then San Francisco and Santa Cruz, Santa Barbara, L.A. And then they'd take off to sea and then everybody would break those up. Maybe 100,000 pounds would go into five people would get 20 to 25,000 pounds and four or five people would get, you know, 5,000 pounds and then five people would get 1,000 pounds. And I was one of those little people getting 1,000 pounds at a time. And then, of course, from there, it would move back across the country to the East Coast and we were supplying the whole country with cannabis. And uh, it was amazing. I would get 1,000 pounds at that, like in my late teens and early 20s and sell it for maybe 13 a pound. I'd make a couple hundred grand back then in the early eighties. Wow. There were no guns, everything was clean. It was a it was a booming business. I mean, it became mm. so huge that our department of uh, the drug enforcement agencies of, of the United States uh, realized what was going on. And they really didn't catch up with it until the early eighties when they uh, made the private prison systems in America. And they also, did the minimum mandatory prison sentences. So I had a friend that got busted with 6,000 pounds in like 1985, and he only did six months in a local jail. A year later, that was a 10 to 15 year prison sentence okay. in a federal prison. And so, oh, it changed it overnight. I had somebody come to me and they showed me the finest cannabis I'd ever seen. It was in a jar, it was totally frosted and absolutely stunning. And uh, I'd never seen anything like it. And uh, we had a little bit of outdoor coming in, but 
it was traditional sun grown that was it wasn't perfect it was a little flawed and it was beautiful but it wasn't perfect this was perfect he said this was grown under the lights you see in like a grocery store and in two years everybody's gonna have to go inside because they're gonna bust all the outside loads and they're gonna bust all the tie and the mexican and the hash loads and we're gonna be forced to grow under lights and i was like you're out of your mind i have a thousand pounds in my backyard we're gonna grow under lights you see in a store and, and I couldn't believe it. Now I bought all the pot because it was the best I'd ever seen. And it became known with nicknames called the grease and the magic and the chronic. This was in like 1985. Two years later, I had to go back and beg for that clone because sure enough, they busted every load coming in. Hmm. They took everything off the streets. They formed a local police department to take out all the Emerald Triangle sun grown. And then we all went inside and started growing under lights in all these buildings. And that's what I ended up doing. Wow. So it's in, it's interesting because it kind of starts with Nixon and his declaration of kind of, you know, the drug scourge being public enemy number one. But yeah, as you say, like it, it took until Reagan for them to really be like, nah, they found a way to, I guess, profiteer from criminalization with the private prison system, as you said, and that really incentivized this uptick of, of harassment uh, and intervention into our culture. So is it, a direct consequence of criminalization that basically created the grow your own scene in, in Mendo. Oh yeah. Yeah. They were, I mean, when all these millions of pounds of Thai and, and Mexican and, and uh, hash were coming in, there wasn't that much of a need for that much sun grown. People were growing it up in the Emerald Triangle, but it wasn't huge amounts. Because, I mean, it was, it was decent amounts, but when they built those private prisons and stuff, they also put a huge task force called camp the California eradication, something or other, and, and marijuana eradication. And then they went after everybody up there. And within about two years, if you were growing large scale sun grown outside, you were done. So then everybody had to grow inside of those lights. And people don't realize, but most of the Emerald Triangle bud coming out through the 90s was mostly indoor in those big generator grows. People were growing under lights with big generators. And I tell people, look, it wasn't really just Nixon or it wasn't just Reagan. It was basically... You call it the military industrial complex, the, the elite, the new world order, whatever you want to call them. When they, they, they started in America in the University of Mississippi studying cannabis in the 50s and 60s, way before Ralph Mechlem from Israel discovered the endocannabinoid system. So we already knew, our government already knew the benefits of cannabis. And they also had moved off all the uh, manufacturing in this country in the early 70s. And they changed our standard from the gold standard to the oil standard. And we had no debt at that time. Uh, a man who had a trade job like an electrician or carpenter could have a wife and two kids and a home and a vacation home and didn't need a credit card. There was no such thing as a credit card because nobody needed them. Mm -hmm. People don't even realize there was no such thing as a credit card in the 60s and 70s because people didn't need them. But what they did was they decided to, to take this country and bring it to its knees and do what would have taken a couple hundred years in one generation. Mm. And that's what they did. So they stripped the middle class. They moved all the manufacturing offshore. They gutted us, but they didn't count on cannabis. So when they write the history books later on, they're going to realize, oh, my gosh, they really didn't realize what a huge industry cannabis would become. And it would basically hold up all the alternative living and the thinking of, of this country all those years. That's why they hated us so much. That's mm. why they went after us so hard. So it was a product of that. And it was 
Basically, I say the Democrats and the Republicans are all the same to me. All politicians over 50 are crooks at this point, in my mind, almost every one of them, because they're bought off. In this country, you've got to have $100 million to run a campaign. Corporations buy you off. By the time you're 50, you're bought and paid for, for the most part. So they all got together and just said, okay, we're going to keep this out, and we're going to keep this down, and they chased us. And when they write those books, they're going to realize that cannabis was really, and the outlaw cannabis people were the ones that saved this country and probably the world because we didn't go down and we kept an alternative economy going for all those years. Yeah, well, you, you're entirely true. It was uh, admitted that in 2008, the only reason the, the entire world didn't collapse was because of the liquidity in drug markets. And once all those fancy little numbers pissed off the screen, all the fiscal money was in the hands of dealers. Hundreds of billions of pounds of cash were suddenly able to be back into the marketplace. You know, I mean, HSBC got caught out laundering yeah. money for the cartels. It's huge money and it started exactly as you say with this kind of exclusion and protectionist attitude and now we're slowly in my estimation and understanding of it moving into a world where that same cabal of individuals now want to own cannabis they're bored just coming after us and fucking terrorizing us and locking us in cages now they want to make money from us and we're in this sort of system where it's i agree entirely it's left and right is a non-issue anymore. It's all neoliberalistic politics. It's all Reaganomics in America or Thatcherism in the UK. It was started at the same time, this mass deregulation of markets and the giving of public service to private enterprise. And cannabis is one of these wonderful resources that beyond us enjoying it as a drug or a medicine can you know change and alter the, the timber industry. Could now at this point uh, affect the so it can affect the timber industry. Textiles can now be used like in, in rebar, so it can affect steel, battery production. Do you know what I mean? Is is ethanol and biofuels. There's so many other industries that are seeking to try and benefit from from cannabis. So we've kind of flipped flipped with it, but the average man is still not free to to utilize cannabis. You have to have your license. You have to fall into a certain remit of regulation or restriction by some authority. Well, yeah, it was. I mean, I've been a truth seeker. Now, people used to call that conspiracy seeking, but I don't call it that. I call it a truth seeker since the early 70s. I'm really into extraterrestrials. And so I've been studying with those people. And I'll tell you what, the researchers and the ETs have to be good because they have to really hunt for their information. So I've been watching this back then when I started with my dialogue conspiracy and Mae Russell. It was about the Kennedy killing and Martin Luther King in this country and how the elite did that and whatnot. And then it turned around. So I've watched the whole thing. Uh, they basically could have allowed us to thrive and allowed cannabis to come in in all its forms, medicine as recreation for textiles. Like you said, you could have been making all your building materials out of cannabis, all your clothing, and we could have got away from toxic uh, cottons and all the other chemicals we use. They didn't want us to thrive. Uh, Foster Gamble's written a, or did a documentary called Thrive One and Thrive Two, and he shows very clearly that they didn't want us to thrive. They suppressed us in every way, shape, or form over the last 60 years. I say that it's once really started was when the ET thing came in and Roswell came in into this country. But they really have suppressed us and held us back because they didn't want to thrive. They wanted to basically wipe us out. So it's more than them getting bored with cannabis. When they realized we were going to make this legal in this country, they sat back and figured out how they were really going to mess with us. And I tell people they did more in five years of legalization in California to destroy all the legacy people's way of life and culture than they did in 50 years hunting us as outlaws. Mm -hmm. In this country, they have a little known tax code they use for the alcohol moonshiners 100 years ago that's called 280E. 
So they applied it to every cannabis company in this country, which means you cannot deduct anything from your taxes except the cost of goods. And so if you tried to be any other American company traditional that tried to exist with only being able to take away your cost of goods, that means you couldn't deduct your labor, your rent, mm -hmm. your power, your expenses. And in this country, which is so taxed to begin with, it makes it so that not, there's not one cannabis company in California or the, the country for that matter that's making any money. Just with that alone, they've made it impossible. Then in this state, California, they taxed and regulated us to death on top of that, they had $160 a pound tax at one point, just one of their taxes per pound. And so they made it so that nobody could make a, a buck. And so they killed off 90% of the market. Uh, they wiped out farmers, manufacturers, retailers, distributors. Everybody's on the ropes. This whole state is going under in cannabis. And uh, it's really an extinction event that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I, my hat's off to them. They're brilliant, brilliant people. They're evil but they're very good at what they do. And they were gonna take what they did here, move it around the rest of this country and move it around the rest of the world and put the same taxation and repression onto everybody and then kill us all off and take it over for themselves. So diabolical stuff, but they're good at it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's terrifying when you put it in such uh, cold terms, but it is so true and that's the state of play that we live under. and. This is what I'm trying to say to my contemporaries in the space in the UK and in Europe is that people are, you know, uh, celebrating what's happening in Switzerland with their trials, with the Netherlands trials, and and other, and Germany and Czechia and these other places, and the systems that they've sort of been promised they've they got elected on one mandate, but whether they will deliver that, I, it's it's going to take us a minute to see, um, but it does seem to be not about empowering the local community, the legacy industry and, and individuals that, you know, built and protected, as you say, through the darkest days of prohibition, the light of cannabis in that area. It's your cure reliefs, your till rays, your fucking true leaves, all these international companies kind of stepping into different countries and using legal bribery to bullshit their politicians into supporting their global domination it's they're in a a predatorial race in a, a fucking ever decreasing pond where the big fish eats the little fish until there's going to be no fish left well if you look at it that's pretty much in this country anyway the united states that's pretty much the name of capitalism what they do <laughs> they did that in the technology field they've done that in the media field until the internet popped up and everybody got to get free from it and with people like yourself i mean it was basically just newspapers and radio and media like google and, and amazon and apple and the rest of them they controlled everything now the department of defense created the internet system in this country and the military did that so they could spy on us, but it got turned against them because then it freed people like you up and everybody else to have podcasts and influential sites. And mm -hmm. so it's really, a, it's an overall package of how they really suppressed us to hold us down and really feed us bad food, you know, give us bad medicine, stress us to death, make us have to work so hard we can barely keep up, you know, terrorize us, divide us all and turn us against each other so we don't go after them. And then basically try to finish us off so they could just rid the planet of most of us and just take over. And uh, it's a brilliant, brilliant plan that they put together. And uh, it almost worked, but now it's failing very quickly on them. Yeah, I think that they 
have just spent the grand there to the audience, this this cabal of individuals, which is just the natural occurrence when you allow homogeny and power to go unchecked. It gets ever smaller as they, like I said, devour each other, as they merge and acquire and all of the other bullshit to become ever more omnipresent and powerful. Um and yeah, that is the nature of capitalism. And it's interesting that cannabis, as one of my mates often says, it's a capitalist resource with a resource with a socialist agenda. So the capitalists are bringing it out. They're now wanting to make all this money on it, hedge their bets, try and control the market. But in doing it, people are consuming cannabis and they are, you know, being introspective. They are having these kind of metacognitive moments where they're sat thinking about themselves and who they are and who they want to be and what position they hold in life. And I think that is is terrifying to them because all of a sudden, if not to use the parlance of, I guess, woke, which has become a controversial term, but say awakened to the bullshit of their lives, to be deprogrammed from the shit that they're fed every day from the systems around them. And I think, yeah, that is what they didn't account for. And the same is true with psychedelic compounds. And I think this is why now we're seeing this push by pharmaceutical companies to go, okay, okay, shit, psilocybin mushrooms are useful. So what we're going to do is patent a novel compound of psilocin, and you're allowed that if you pay us six grand a go. But you, you're not allowed to go outside and pick mushrooms in the field. That's dangerous. Don't ever do that. But come to us if you want mushrooms. And they're just creating that system of exploitation where they're taking the best aspects and then they're saying all right come have ketamine with us for six grand at a pop of an infusion and then we'll guide you through that experience we won't allow you to discover god in your own terms in your own world words in your own world we're going to guide you through that experience to make sure you don't have too mystical of a journey or we, what we would call psychosis when if you look at anyone that's at a high dose of a psychedelic you could argue that's a form of psychosis because then not them but that's the point of it it's, it's to separate yourself from yourself, to fractulate your consciousness, to be able to observe it. And that is the terrifying thing. So as long as they can make it cost prohibitive and they can have people like Will Smith going, I had ayahuasca and it changed my life, but then we're not allowed to fucking in- in- interact with DMT containing plants. It's that hypocrisy. It's that multi-level classism. I think more and more people are recognizing that than ever before that there is this group of vested, interested, nepotistic individuals that are seeking to dominate the world, whether you want to call it a conspiracy or a new world order, it is actively happening. Look at Davos, look at, if you want to get a bit more controversial, Bohemian Grove and and groups like that, you know what I mean? Well, you know, it's, it's again, they're masterful at it. Uh, right behind cannabis in this country became psychedelics, just, and they were always there, but then they just popped up. I mean, when they get the repressive sentences here, 40 years ago for the cannabis people, they made psychedelics even worse. If you got caught with a couple of bottles of acid, you did 20 years or 30 years. A lot of people did 25 years. They really suppressed the psychedelics. But right behind the freeing of cannabis came psychedelics. And it used to be that you'd find one ayahuasca ceremony in a city maybe every month. Now there's 100 ayahuasca ceremonies going in California every week. I mean, it's just popping up all over. They can't put their hands on it. But they're trying to keep it down through just what you said very eloquently, making it so that they control it, they patent it, it's integration. I go on all the sites and say, look, that's great for people. Some people need to sit down with the therapist and do the integration, but we've been out there in the fields doing dance parties and doing psychedelics outside for the last 40 years at Burning Man and everywhere else, and we're just fine. Just stay out of our way and we'll take care of ourselves and we'll do it. When they formed the private prison systems, and my friend brought me that, that indoor bud that was super, he told me something else. He said that cocaine is $100 a gram right now. 
And he said, you're going to watch it. It was an elite drug. He said, you're going to watch it become $10 a gram within two years. And within two years, they'd switched it up. And a person in the inner city couldn't get any cheap cannabis, but they could get $10 grams of crack. And they just destroyed the inner cities. Now what they're doing in this country is they're running fentanyl in and they're just having people die left and right because they're just flooding the streets with fentanyl. It was cocaine. Then it was speed or crank. Then it was, you know, fentanyl. And they're very good at just flooding the streets with cheap chemical drugs that just screw people up. So they get us from all sides. So uh, they're trying to prohibit the psychedelics, but and at the same time, they're trying to funnel all this the fentanyl in there. And it's it's really a sick thing, what they've done. It's a crime against humanity. And they're going to pay. It's all going to come out. It's coming out now. And it's all falling apart on them. So it's they did a good job, but their time's up. People are waking up one by one. Yeah. And because they don't have the passion, the commitment, the lived and living experience in this community, they don't give a fuck. They've made their book. If it collapses now, well, screw that. I've still got my two holiday homes and my, what do you guys call it, 401k in America? They've got their set, they're sorted. So they're not going to stick around to fight for it, but it's the people that actually give a fuck that really invested and put their lives into this, believing that they could change and mold that system from inside that are going to be left holding the bag. And it's terrible the way that they've co-opted and stolen like our, our language, our culture, you know, our icons, our music. They've taken certain aspects to normalize cannabis, but as long as it only promotes this legal cabal, this capitalist uh, multinational model, not this homegrown culture of you grow your own, you sit together with your mates and you smoke it. It's all glorification of dispensaries and spending money and, and whatever else. But the the thing that got us all here of just getting together with your mates, that want, that drive to just connect with other people, connect with the plant and share that social space, that is still that driving force behind us. And they can keep dangling all these fancy carrots in front of us. But as you said, as you're saying, like a lot of the businesses are just not, they're not getting where they're getting because we're looking at it and going, that isn't what we wanted. So we're not going to support it. Well, yeah, we're going to rebel back. But I mean, out here in this country, they've taken what, I mean, you go to a local farmer's market and get a tomato or a vegetable and you can taste the energy and it's just incredibly powerful. And same with cannabis when people locally grow it and it's put love into it and it's organic and people have good cultivars. When you get these giant crops, these monocrops that are done with chemicals and they're all done with factory machinery. It's the same with food. It, it just waters it down. The cannabinoid profile isn't the same. It doesn't get you the same high. And they just, they just make it so that people aren't really getting high as they should. So that's what they do on the one side. But, you know, um, I, I love to see where we're at because they lost with cannabis. They're losing with psychedelics. They're losing the control over these countries left and right people are waking up and rioting everywhere and no matter what they do they're they're falling apart and you can see it and so they're getting desperate and uh, the next nine months are going to be very exciting to see because i think you're going to see the peaceful revolution really come to the forefront across uh, this country and across the rest of the, country, the world I, I really hope so i mean we're, we're sat in quite dark days here in the uk uh for all the vast vast majority of the populace now want to get rid of well, uh, our conservative party our version of the republicans are supposed to take a right and left wing uh kind of binary political stance um but our left wing have moved very center into right for in a lot of policies right. that, that have alienated the classic left so people are going to vote labor which is our democrats to get rid of our 
conservatives, uh, which is our Republicans. But in the, in the midst of this, like our financial crisis, it's the deepest it's ever fucking been. Inflation has spiked like nothing we've ever seen before. We're one of the most expensive energy consumers in Europe, if not even the world at this point, because of how screwed we are. We've deregulated uh, everything that used to be nationalized and used to be under the control of the, the system. And yet there is still no real groundswell or or movement against this because of what they've done in policing. So they've now, they're putting into law a ban against our protests. So we can't get together. They're trying to pass a law that says that if we are thinking about protesting, they can come and kidnap us from our houses if we've attended a protest previously in two years or are known to a protest or activist group. So they're, they're really trying to, I think in the UK, get ahead of, that wave because we're, you've got some really smart economists, really smart, um, you know, national planners that are, are talking about this and going, no, the world's something's going to happen. There has to be a correction in the financial market. And when it does, many governments ain't going to last. So there is that moment where I think we're going to have almost like that French yellow coat, uh, yellow jackets movement. You remember when they were on the streets every week, uh, constantly that sustained sort of protest and really brought France to, to heal. I don't think the UK's got that. But America, you guys have fucking got it. You're a young country and you guys really believe in the First Amendment and everything else. That you, you actually have a constitution. Brits don't. We have a monarchy that dictates whatever the fuck we're allowed to do. And subsequently, complaining is not one of them. So I, I hope that that wave rises and that it floods onto these shores because even now with trying to uh, arrange a protest for, for Gary, who has just been recently arrested in the UK, we're quite apprehensive of not knowing what the law is and what's going to happen if we try and organise to stand against them you know are they going to hit us harder or are they going to try and lock us up alongside of him and it's yeah it's a it's a terrible position to be in i mean the uk is we are as corrupt as california i would say in terms of its uh the influence of multinational conglomerates and of international investment vessels and organizations like blackrock and vanguard that you know own large parts of our infrastructure um so I agree. I do, I do hope there is this kind of revolutionary spark because this isn't the world that most of us fought for. This isn't the thing that I've been sat here for nearly 10 years trying to, to push in this country. And that's for a form of cannabis. And it isn't to make the rich richer and the poor poorer. It isn't to leave my friends in cages while some of my friends get to become millionaires. You know what I mean? It's the, this hypocrisy that's within that system is it's so hard to digest and to sit with when so many of my contemporaries are, like I said, are just calling for legalization. They go, oh, we want Cali weed here. And I'm like, do you even know what you're saying, you, what you're implying, what system you're you're inflicting upon the rest of the populace, you know? Well, that's well said. You obviously have done your research and homework and, uh, you know, if anybody was awake back when Nazi Germany was around, they would look at what's happening in England and say, this is like what the Nazis did. You can't talk. You can't voice your concern. You can't protest. That's not a democracy. I know you're a monarchy, but I mean, there's democratic societies. They're doing that in Canada. They're doing that in this United States. All of a sudden, they're censoring people. They're holding it all back. They're trying to keep people from talking about things. And it's incredible. I went to a UFO conference six years ago. I thought I knew about a lot about ETs. And I got schooled by the best people in the world. And they explained to me, which I, I really realized quickly. We were all we grew up with uh, Bush and Kissinger and all the Republicans being the evil people, because it was, you know, that was the tradition back then in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And then they realized there was going to be a large aging population of baby boomers who were very liberal. And they weren't going to be able to sell them 
uh, Henry Kissinger or Nixon or Reagan. And so they had to create Obama and the Clintons and that whole thing, because that's what they needed to sell us. Now, I voted for Obama. I voted for Clinton. I swallowed that that bait. But they're the same people. There's no difference between them and the Republicans. And they just come in. If you look at their actions, our President Obama started more wars. He basically wiped out the Middle East. We're talking about him. He got a peace prize, Nobel Peace Prize. He wiped out the whole Middle East and killed more people than anybody. And it's like, why do they get away with this stuff in the name of, like, we're liberal people. We smoke pot. We play saxophones. And it's like, they put us to sleep because they own all the media and they control everything. And uh, they basically really woke me up to how my liberalism and what I was seeing was really been you know, snookered. And so I really had to come across and wake up to that and realize that uh, it's all the same thing. Um, there's very few people that are pure. Uh, at this point, the, the I would say that almost in this country, the Republicans are probably more on it than the Democrats, even because they see this. They're, the Democrats are fighting to take away our guns and our free speech and all the liberal things that we should want. And the Republicans are fighting for it. And all the liberal people are going, yeah, take our guns away. Take our free speech away. Like, look at Elon Musk. They're attacking the shit out of him for taking Twitter and opening it to free speech. And yet, wait a minute. This was a guy that everybody thought was a heroic guy for making electric cars and being liberal and being a great guy. But as soon as he bought Twitter and wanted to open up free speech, he became like this terrible, evil guy by most of the liberals. I look at my liberal friends and go, you know what's happened to you? Do you guys know how asleep you are? Where you're at? Because they they don't understand. They're clueless, most of them. Mm -hmm. They're waking up, though. Bill Maher, if you watch Bill Maher, one of our famous comedians, every week now, you watch Bill Maher, and he's waking up every week and going, uh, you know, how did this happen? What's going on here? Mm -hmm. You know, And... Uh, so it's all coming out very quick in this country, very, very quickly. And in Europe, it'll follow, too. Once this country falls and opens up, then British, the Britons won't be able to, to hold it up either. Eng England will go, too. Uh, you guys are very repressed. You and Canada uh, are two of the most repressed countries in the world right now. It's, it's interesting. It's be Canada and the UK, we they, uh, uh, basically have a, a proto version of our laws, Obviously, uh, because of former Commonwealth links and part of the, um, what the hell do you call it, empire. Uh, such a weird word. Uh, but yeah, the, the British the British Empire. And so it's the money that was raised out of that, ironically, for hundreds of years on being global drug dealers since uh, the, the two opioid wars, uh, opium wars, sorry, in China and dis dis disrupting that entire region um, and utilizing drugs as slush funds for, for like I said, for hundreds of years. Um, this then created these super national corporations and, and dynasties and families that weren't nationalistically uh, ascribed. So they were able to take their wealth and move it across, across borders, hide it with taxation, put things through shell companies and all the rest of it. We've seen this in the Paradise and Panama Papers with the trillions of assets that are just not counted on books because they're in these other resources, they're part of these other resources. Um, and that's now surpassed nationalism. That's now surpassed national government. So you see what you're saying is like, yeah, it's, that group of people go, we're going to play red team today. Red team, red team, yay. Oh, I'm bored of this now. We fucked it over. Let's go pretend to be blue team and get them on out. And it's just, this, it's as Bill Hicks points out, and he's saying it's the same left and right wing. It's the same bird. And and that's what people, I think, are waking up to this idea is they're all in support of a an international corporate technocracy, a kind of authoritarianism that isn't, 
that, that manifests nas- nationally, but is international. So they control dissent in all spaces at all times. I think one of the reasons they went after Elon so hard after um, celebrating him for so long with the technologies and the potential uh, sort of things that he was involved in with the, the boring company and the tunnels and all the rest of it um, is exactly that. He, he, sought to expose especially through the twitter files which i suppose in some circles is still quite controversial the influence that was coming from vested interest that was coming from government that was coming from intelligence agencies that was coming from private corporations that wanted to massage certain narratives that wanted to you know co- co- uh, coerce and control the the narrative that was out there i mean there's a wonderful film uh i think it's from 1976 called network um, and it's where the sort of the speech, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore comes from. And that's a wonderful sort of expression of showing what happens with the conglomeratization of media. And then all of a sudden you can't criticize say, this company because we also want an airline. So we're not going to run a story about that airline being bad. We've Our investors are invested in this region. So we're not going to talk about that region. And it just limits that narrative and what is acceptable to be spoken of in that kind of the Overton window of political acceptability. And it is, they've just been playing ping pong back and forth and it worked well with Clinton. As you see, he came on with his saxophone, and I'm not going to try my Clinton impression. It's been a long time since I've done it. And really sweet talk to the public, and everyone kind of went, "Oh, it can't be that bad." And he had a sex scandal, and all the geezers were like, "Well, yeah, he's one of the lads." And we kind of lessened it. And then, yeah, Obama came in with that wave. And as you say, the the juxtaposition of him being given a Nobel Peace Prize and residing over, uh, I, I don't know if I can check the figures on that, more deaths than than Bush, the uh, previous president. But in terms of the uptake of the drone programs, increasing surveillance, what he did in terms of what he was signing versus what he stood at the pulpit and said was worlds apart. And it's still taking people now over a decade after that to kind of go... There's, there's something not right there, and they still don't want to itch it because we're in this binary world where if you criticize your team, you're automatically in the other team. And it's like you have to have a team because otherwise you're not playing the game. And it's like, that's it. I don't want to play the game. I want to step out of it, look at it, observe it, and try and get as many of you out of it so we can go look at the absurdity. Look at this little imagined game that they've had us in, this pageantry that we've been playing for fucking for decades, it, trapped in this illusion, you know, hypnotized to it. You know what? Uh, in 1947, we had the Roswell UFO crash in this country, New Mexico. And they already knew about ETs because the Germans were working with ETs. You can go back to the whole story about the Germans. Uh, and they moved to Antarctica. But basically, at that time, we formed MJ-12 to research the whole project. And within two years, our president, Dwight Eisenhower, wasn't allowed into Area 101, the top secret base in Nevada. And he realized that he'd been cut out by the military industrial complex. And he he wrote a famous speech before he retired and said, beware of the military industrial complex. He warned everybody. He told John F. Kennedy, our next president, Kennedy tried to stop it. They killed Kennedy. And that was their last of the freely elected presidents in this country. And that's when they basically took over the world. And they were like, we're not sharing the ET thing with them. Uh, at all. And so that's really the the overall 30,000 foot level is the ET thing. They basically realized they could get into space. They worked with the Nazis that were doing spacecraft, Boeing, Douglas, all the military jumped in with them. And they basically launched spacecraft in the 1960s. William Tompkins was the head of our spy program in World War II for the United States. He was one of the people that created NASA and was leading people in the Navy think tanks. And he wrote a book with Michael Sala six years ago saying that the, the Nazi military industrial complex launched ETs in the uh, ships in the 1960s and went out into space. 
and have been dealing with 700 ET races and trade through the next 30 years. The good side of the military launched in 1986, eight mile and a half long spacecraft, and that they've been playing Star Wars in space ever since then. And he wrote that with Michael Sala in 2016. And this was a guy that knows more than anybody. And so basically there has been a war in space with the elite controlling this down here that whole time. And uh, that's what it really was. They'd gone into space. They were going to make this a park. They found that one asteroid that they said they could get enough minerals off for the next hundred years and not even mine anything on this earth. They've already just found one. We could have already been doing that, turn this world into a park. Everybody could have just worked a few hours a day to contribute to society like they do on other ET planets. We could have all followed our arts and passions and had a thriving place. And instead, through, like I said, food, medicine, everything they did to us, they were going to basically repress us, kill us all off with the vaccine and whatnot, and then take this over for themselves. And that really came close to happening, but it didn't. What you're seeing now is the turning of the tide. They're getting Biden. They're going after Trudeau. They already ran Merkel out. They ran the person out of Italy. Uh, you know, New Zealand, that lady's gone. Uh, they're, they're going after the people in Brazil. The whole world has basically had it. And we're waking up very quickly, and we're going to see the peaceful revolution come in. I deal with the leading ET people now. What they've said in the last six years has all come true. And they're saying that we're going to see worldwide military tribunals within the next year uh, for all of this, because we can't even trust all judicial systems or our governments anymore. And then we're going to be given free energy. We're going to be given med beds that heal all, like you see in Star Wars and Star Trek. Everybody's going to have free energy. We're going to be completely healthy. They're going to repair the oceans. They're going to take $900 trillion from the elite, put it into repairing the oceans and the land masses, organic food for everybody, the biggest jobs program in the history. And then our ET friends are going to land within one year to 18 months, and they're going to be here introducing themselves to us. And we're going to be welcomed into the intergalactic circle. So this is the end of the free will experiment that's happened since we were created by the Anunnaki 12,800 years ago. And it's gone on for all that time. Uh, all the intergalactic ETs have watched this and given us our free will. And now it's time for that to come in and the meek are going to inherit the earth. And it'll all happen within the next 18 months. It's all coming down right now. Wow. <laughs> There's a, a lot, lot to unpack there. Uh, I guess I'm not as, as avid as a I guess believer as yourself, but it's interesting because I see more and more this convergence of a narrative around, because again, it, it kind of makes sense to some degree. I'm just going to kind of pick this apart, not to pick you apart of the argument, but just kind of discuss it out. Sure. In the If we look at the techno technological evolution of this, if we look at, say, things like uh, Operation Paperclip, which uh, many of the what, nearly fifteen hundred Nazi Absolutely. scientists were were rescued and uh, rescued from the docks at Nuremberg, and you know weren't put on trial. And NASA was built with with this technology, with uh, Von Braun and the the V two rockets and all of that sort of thing. And then obviously yeah, the various other governments put, pulled it apart and. Then when you look at the evolution of even just in your life, I mean, it must be mental in your lifetime going from your cassette, your classic cassette player all the way through your MP. So literally a couple of grainy bits of tape, physical technology, physical technology that you can understand and go, this is on this tape. I press play, the tape goes through this, this reads this and makes the sound. Now, most technology thought about in abstract is basically fucking magic um, in an evolutionary point of view, because humanity, we just pissed around with, with sticks and stones of fire for, for a millennia or whatever in the 
let's call it the traditional worldview. And then we've kind of evolved into this position of saying we have all this evidence of previous incarnations of uh, modern Homo sapien. But yeah, we are this blip where there is just this explosion of technology. And this is, I guess, where I entertain, I guess, as a way of describing it, the, the conceptual idea that that technology could have, could have come from somewhere else because it, it doesn't spark me as like how long between Newton and the theory of gravity before kind of the mechanistic machines that arose out of that, you know, things are supposed to take time. Yet, as you said, we have this ever-growing smart surveillance network of systems around us, how powerful the technology is, how incredible the amount of data that we're storing again to think of like the images of the the rocket that took us to 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 the moon in 67 or 69 whatever it was or allegedly as opposed to we gotta say these days because who the fuck knows um that that was rooms rooms to just get megabytes kilobytes now you can hold terabytes in your hand do you know i mean that evolution of technology is almost suspect i guess um but we just take it must just take it for granted and it's interesting i'm a an ardent watcher and avid fan of uh the x-files i've actually got a i want to believe ufo poster above my desk right now uh in homage to kind of agent Mulder's desk in uh in the uh basement in in the fbi building in quantico um uh so yeah it's i i guess i want to believe in, in a sense I, I but it's not i can't i it fitted into my worldview and it makes sense. If that, do you know what I mean? So I entertain it and I, I like to to explore it. I have a, a friend of mine who is going to love this fucking episode uh, because he is well, well into this. And literally he, he keeps an eye on like solar activity and various other things. And he's going, oh, this is this and this is this. And I, yeah, it's I, I appreciate uh, sort of the worldview. And actually I'd be quite optimistic and hopeful. I would very much like that as a world event to occur, if we could actually just go, all right, here's the promise that we were told we were going to get through automation and innovation was not joblessness and, and the crash of the economy, but going, yeah, you can go back to hunter gathering you, a few hours a week, you, you potter on, but everything you need is mechanically engineered, is, is automated, is delivered, is, you know, done behind the scenes. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, very quickly, uh, it was very clear in Nazi Germany that, um, they had Michael William Tompkins, this man who ran the spy program for the United States, came back and said they were dealing with uh, dark ETs that were evil ETs. And the Nazis were given technology to build spacecraft because they joined in with them. And they didn't really lose World War II. They moved to Antarctica. You hear all the stories about all the Nazis down in South America and whatnot. They moved to Antarctica where there were bases. And they moved down there. And Admiral Byrd, our, our admiral, one of the leaders in the military, went down there with the largest naval expedition in history, bigger than anything in World War II. And he got his ass kicked by those Nazi ships. And he came back and had, there's newspaper stories about him in Chile and stuff saying that uh, they, he, he fought spacecraft that could go pole to pole within minutes. And they, they whitewashed the whole thing. And then there's a famous picture of UFOs over the White House that they whitewashed off all the Google, too. You can find that if you look around. And that wasn't ETs. Those were Nazi spacecraft. They're the ones that checkmated Dwight. They said, you have the technology. We have the technology, but you have the production power. So he made a deal with them. MJ-12 went against Dwight. That's when the whole thing went down with the military industrial complex and the Nazis. That's where that came about. And they went into space and we came in. But if you back up a little bit, one thing that happened... The not the well, the um, the ET people talked about uh, Elon Musk and how he was taken off planet to uh, Jupiter to a giant ET ship 
and sat down before the Intergalactic Council and told he wasn't really a good boy, but he could change his life. And he came back, and this was a year ago, and they tracked him over the last year. And if you do it, this is a fact. He sold all four of his $20 million homes, and he bought a tiny house, 40000 bucks, and he's living that on his launch site in Brownsville, Texas. And he said, you know what? I'm going to be traveling the stars in two years. And he changed his life. They told him to buy Twitter and bring free speech back. And he did that also. So they've tracked all this and shown that. I'll show you a picture of the ship through the James Webb telescope that we launched that shows the ship. Exactly. It's twice as big as the moon Europa. But when you go back in history really quickly, the Anunnaki, who Zachariah Sitchin wrote about, called the book called The Twelfth Planet, and the Nibiru people, the Anunnaki, it was in Sumerian text. He was the Jewish scholar in the 70s who started uh, deciphering Sumerian text and, and said all this stuff. Well, now there's about 25 scholars that have deciphered Sumerian text, and they all say the same thing. There was a race of Anunnaki that lived here for 250,000 years, and this was their planet. And all the civilizations along the shores were where they were at. We're finding those. There's now proven a uh, thing that's called the Younger Hydra's Impact. And it was a giant comet that hit here 12,800 years ago. And it hit Michigan and northern uh, Canada. And it hit Greenland. And they're showing that that's what happened was that there was the Clovis people in North America, pre-Native pre American. They can't find any skeletons. Well, the reason why is because a 500,000-foot tidal wave washed over North America. So what happens is the Anunnaki got up in their ships and avoided a lot of that, but they were damaged majorly. And their leader agreed for them to be able to create us from the hominides that were on this planet. So just like we had the technology jump from all the ET stuff in the 50s and 60s, we also had this jump where people can't figure out where we went from being primitive people to all of a sudden creating things like, uh, you know, go, go back like Tempe and all these sites that are just incredible. So what happens is, NL and Enke, who you see in the Bible and Sumerian text, Enke basically created us, took a rib, like they say in the Bible, and created us. And his brother Enlil was the military commander. Enke realized how special we were and wanted to free us. Enlil wanted to just keep us as a slave race. So they kicked Enke off the planet, and Lel moved on. And everything you see in the Bible in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and all that crap, that's all the Anunnaki and Lel and all those guys. All the stuff you see, that's not God. God would never tell anybody to have an eye for an eye or hurt anybody. That was all Anunnaki. So basically, the Anunnaki created us. And then you look at all the fairy tale myths of the half man, half beast, and all this crap. But what happened was for 1,300 years, when they were creating us and working with us, they made all kinds of experimental beings. And that's why those were not missed. They were true. Well, the, the, the leader, Anu, came back and went, what have you guys done? This, can't, this is going against the prime directive. We weren't even supposed to do this in the first place. So we got to get rid of this. So they basically either created or allowed another comet to come in 11,500 11, years ago, which they're now proving. And that was Noah's flood. That was the great Noah's Ark flood. And Enke, who loved us, told Noah about this because he was half Anunnaki, was his son, and told him about it. And that's why Noah survived. And that's why you had all the indigenous people survive. And that's when you look at history, that's when the Anunnaki embedded themselves into all these tribes, which became the Incans and the Mayans, the Peruvians, uh, the Mexicans, the Sumerians, the Egyptians, you know, all over the world. You know, uh, in the uh, the islanders, and uh, mm. they all became embedded with the Anunnaki. 
Okay. And that's what basically has happened. That's how we evolved and that's what's been going on. And uh, the, 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 uh, the proof of all this is coming out very quickly through, there's a, a Druid archeologist named Elena Danan in Ireland, who's uh, one of the leading people in the world talking about this. Michael Sala has written six books. He's a PhD. Michael Sala is a PhD. He's written six books on this. He's got the best book series in the world. If you want to learn, he has a book on the Chinese aspect of ETs on every bit of it. And they say, if you can go on YouTube and see all their stuff, they have some far out stuff like I'm talking about. But just recently, uh, John Peterson, who runs the Arlington think tank for the Navy and Greg Bratton, who has a half million followers and he's an environmental scientist and one of the leading researchers in the world just came out last week and said, everything that Alana and Michael is saying is true. And these are the insider military people. And what they're saying is what I've been saying for two years is Enke and the Anunnaki ruled this for 250,000 years and their kings, they had 12 kings and queens and they all ruled for between 20 and 30,000 years. These beings lived for a long time. So it serves to think that 12,000 years ago, Enke and Enlil are still alive. And so they're now saying that Enke is alive. He's in that ship they took Elon Musk to and he's going to land and the man that, they're not a man, the Anunnaki that created us from their, their DNA and the hominoids is going to land here and, and welcome us. And we're going to have the most tremendous <laughs> re-education of humanity in the next year once they get control of this, because we're all going to have to realize what really happened. So that's how we made the big jump, jump in terms of being real humans, because they can't figure out that happened. And you're actually right. When the ETs got uh, crashed here and we got all their ships and stuff, the technology jumped. And what William Tompkins said was, we've only got we're probably 30 years behind what they really have. Mm. They're already like, it's just like Star Trek. They're already basically making food out of machines. They're, they're, they're moving people across distances and stuff. The stuff they can do is unbelievable. So we're going to have the most incredible ride of our lives. We're going to have the greatest moment in history since we were created over the next two years. And that's why I'm very excited. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. It's, it's interesting because obviously there's uh, obviously to, to I guess remain for uh, entertainment's sake as, as well as anything else. Um, a bit skeptical. It's interesting that the work of Graham Hancock and his series on Netflix and the backlash that that got to me was I couldn't quite understand it. I couldn't quite figure out what the hell people were were on about and having a go. And it's interesting that yeah, his work on the idea of I've got several of his books up there um, of the species with amnesia. Uh, to then the theory that you're proposing or speaking of here is that we don't have amnesia. It's the the species that was prior to that wasn't what we are now, um, which I think is 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 quite interesting to sort of to to think about. The same is true of uh, sort of White House disclosures and things like that that have come out recently about military saying uh, they've recorded interactions with uh, what do they call them? Not UFOs anymore, an identified aerial phenomenon or whatever it is. Um, and so yeah, it's it's interesting. It is very well. Yeah, Graham Hancock's a very key person in this. If you go back and look, Graham Hancock just wrote a book last year called America Before, and he's the one that basically has brought all this to the forefront. That this comet hit called the younger younger hydros impact theory, and basically he talks about that and what happened. And basically, it all makes sense when you look at it now. You know, they said that science is going to prove religion. It is proving religion very quickly. It's just not going to be the religion that most people thought. 
Mm. You know, that's really what it was. So basically what happened was you had everybody thinking that we had this evil God that was, uh, you know, vengeful and you had to be careful or he'd come down on you and do all this stuff. Well, the intergalactic council basically got together and sent down holy beings such as Christ and Buddha and uh, Muhammad and all these beings in a very close proximity of time, maybe 500 to 1,000 years, to teach us basically about the one God, about you can find God within yourself, about you don't need a church or this or that. You can basically find spirituality in your own enlightenment without that. And they came down to bring that and foster that message. And that's basically was all put together. We've been followed and nurtured by our uh et friends and benefactors for all these thousands of years and mm. uh they've been watching this the um well i was going to show it to you but i just missed it um i'm going to show it to you right now so i've got this so what i use you have to balance science with with uh fact and whatnot so what happens is is that um our friends um that were researching found this this um picture from nasa through the james webb telescope and uh it basically um shows the anunnaki uh, the ship that they're in I'll, I'll get it to you right now and so what they did was they sent back pictures of the james webb telescope and anybody's familiar with that it's 10 times stronger than the hubble and they're looking into space and they're already finding universes outside this universe they're already finding electromagnetic magnetic signals on exoplanets they're finding all the stuff that they knew they would they knew they were going to find this so they've got 24 theologians working full time on how to introduce us to these facts because it's going to come in no matter what this picture i don't know if you can see it came back from this picture came back from a NASA James Webb's telescope. And if you look at that, you're going to see Europa, the moon, next to Jupiter. And then you're going to see this unnatural object in between. And if you blow that up, it's twice as big as the moon Europa. And it basically can hold millions of ETs. And that right there is the ship that they took must to. And that's where Enke is. And that's where the Intergalactic Council, they have four of those ships. They hold about three or four million people. And uh, so there's about 15 million people orbiting that planet uh, in in uh, conjunction with each other, waiting for all this to come down. It's all being planned. Wow. I, I, study, I study quite a bit. I mean, I study probably three or four hours a day and follow mm -hmm. the leading researchers in the world. Um, so I, I pretty much uh, have a good idea what's it's going an, on. An amazing sort of field of... Uh... Of, of research uh didn't they announce the james webb telescope was damaged or something recently and said that they were not going to be able to release more pictures from it recently it's it's again it's another one of those kind of narratives that doesn't really make sense of them saying oh well it was for the arms race that we went up into space and landed on the moon and it'll cost x amount more and it's like well if we have this more technology why why haven't we been back that's one of the things that i'm quite you know curious about uh regardless of any of the other sort of subject matter we've, we've we've discussed is that the narratives that are presented to us don't necessarily make sense and then I'm, I'm a strong believer in kind of like the akashic records as the buddhists and jainists described it that all knowledge mm -hmm. past and present is kind of in an ether and we kind of tap into it like a tv and an, an antenna and a signal being uh, directed to it and i think from that we we are kind of sharing and tapping into this kind of awareness as we spoke of before and i think 
I don't know if it is in a sense connected to sort of what you're saying, but I'm, I do enjoy uh, postulating and, and and thinking of uh, sort of the uh, the concept of it. You know what I mean? Well, you've got both. You got the Kashuk records. Uh, you've got a whole billions of ETs, not ETs, but spirit guides and angels running around in the fourth and fifth dimension, working with us as individuals. So you have this giant fourth and fifth dimensional network of of creative beings helping us individually. Then you've got these ETs that are very ancient and they also are basically third and fourth dimensional. They can go in and out too. That's why they can go through walls and they can actually interact with our spirit guides. And so uh, there's a, a magnificent thing going on. That's uh, it's really beyond anybody what they could imagine. I'm um, looking for this other picture. They sent back a picture from the James Webb and it's on YouTube. And they talk about finding a spacecraft. That's a thousand miles long. Mm. that they found uh, they I think I, scientifically i think i remember it. See, so, seeing that in the mainstream press and it being conject uh people debating of what sort of the the structure of it is uh and what, what it could be and again it's there is this mass increase even in the mainstream legacy press of these conversations being had and it i think it was terence mckenna spoke of this idea of uh kind of softening a culture ahead of time the, the the powers that be will link it out they will install little bits into your life so that over time in the same way the the frogs in the in, in the water that if you heat it up slowly they won't notice whereas if you make these jarring changes they will and i think we're kind of being you know set to understand it again in, even in our media there has been an explosion in in tvs and films that are sci-fi based that are exploring you know, other sort of concepts, uh, obviously starting with Star Trek back in the 60s and all the iterations it's had. And yeah, it's, it's well, interesting. It's really interesting. They knew, they knew, look, they knew well that the, these telescopes were going to find all the, the life on the planets. They knew this was all going to come in. They knew that all of us were going to find out what was up. They were really out of time. Uh, and they knew that they had to, to, to control us, wipe us out. That's what COVID was about. Uh, they basically put in this country. They were, and in fact, around the world, they're trying to create digital currency. So they're going to take a take us off a cash system, move us to a digital currency system. It'd be like China, where you get a credit score. They could turn you off at any minute if you weren't a good boy or girl. You know, forget just going out and protesting. They just turn your money off. They were going to basically repress us, bring us in, wipe us out, and get rid of the people they didn't like, and then turn the rest into a slave race. And uh, they basically came very close to doing that but they were stopped at the last minute. And uh, it's really a remarkable, it's a remarkable thing. And uh, we're going to see all this come out. And we're basically, what the ET people will say is that we're in, uh, up in space, it's all been cleaned up now. And we're in a mop up job down here. They don't have connections to all the ET energy and power and stuff anymore. So the elite of the world are really on their own. And uh, it's going to be uh, really phenomenal as we come out with all this. Uh, and so that's what's really coming in. Um, I have a major call. I'm, I'm sorry, I was late to our meeting. I missed that. I need a secretary much better. And um, so I've uh, I've got to go in just a couple of minutes. Um, I would love to get back on or continue this if I could, but I can't find that one. I'll have to send it to you. It, but it's a major piece. I follow, I follow the James Webb because that's scientific stuff they're sending out. And these are all on YouTube. I like to send them to people because it shows that they found this, this craft that is an unnatural object and it's a thousand miles long and it's moving. Okay. So they're, you know, sure they can try to say whatever they want. It's a spacecraft. And everybody knows it. Just like that picture I showed you is an unnatural object. It's twice the size of the moon Europa. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is that? It's man-made call it what you want, but 
it's very, very exciting. We're going to see that. It's people like you getting this information out and all of us that are really going to be the ones that look back on as the heroes, because I know you don't make any money. I mean, I assume you don't. Most people don't, but you make very little money off doing this. It's a passion project. We're doing it for the good of the planet and trying to heal people. And cannabis is one piece. You peel the onion back and psychedelics are part of it cleaning up our food systems, making people aware of what they did to the vaccines, how they're repressing us with all the laws, how they're trying to basically enslave us all the way up to just cracking that egg and opening it up so that we can take ourselves back and basically get that free energy in these med beds and our introduction to our ET friends. And we're going to be traveling the stars in two years. I guarantee you, Elon Musk knows it. And so do I. That's that's, and that's what's going to be happening. That's some good hope and optimism. And I'd like to think the same. Uh Thank you for, for coming back and taking the extra time uh, with us. Really appreciate it, Tim. Um, yeah, really fascinating conversation there. Um, I think what I'd like to do for the next 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 part is, well, it is, it's it's like I said, I'm not, I don't want to, you know, disrespect you by saying oh, I believe you entirely. But at the same time, I don't want to disrespect oh, you by no, saying no, I, okay. don't, I don't believe you. It's, it's a fascinating subject and topic. And uh, yeah, really... The kind of shit I, I do enjoy uh conversing on so yeah i, I do appreciate it um but yeah i, I just want to get to some it's a lot the, to take in yeah, it's a lot to take in yeah so yeah we can let's let's move back to the cannabis thing let's jump into that and, uh, you know we yeah. just kind of went off on that tangent but uh that, you know it's okay <laughs> hey that's our, my audience are used to me going on some hella tangents on this podcast so they'll be quite used to it and i imagine uh you'll have gained quite a few followers there from my audience that are again uh, I don't want to say that way inclined, but are of similar belief and um, yeah, sort of worldview as yourself. So yeah, glad glad we can connect those dots. Um, I suppose yeah, we we spoke of how you got involved in the scene, the the early days, um, and I suppose one of the things that I wanted to sort of really discuss is I'm trying to look for the sheriff's name, and I don't know if I wrote it. Uh, Tom Alderman. Tom. And sure. yeah, so what you sure. did sort of with him and how from a cursory glance, I, I, I've i been so snowed under with work with uh, trying to organize things for Gary at the minute. But from the cursory glance that I took, it, it looks like you, you worked together and really created kind of a system that was massively reciprocal. Um, I saw the claim that was made by yourself that you effectively funded them in the second year after you kind of established this model. Uh, could you tell us about, about that? Well, we started the Emerald Cup uh, a few years earlier, and Pebbles Trippett came to me. She's uh, kind of the matriarch of our tribe, and she's a very major activist in this state. She got arrested just to earn the right for people to transport cannabis. That's called the Trippett Standard in California. And she said, you know what? There's more cannabis people than there are in Mendocino County. Why don't we control who gets elected for sheriff? And so we decided to have these sheriff debates at Area 101. And we said, look, if you guys aren't going to come up, we're going to choose who we're going to pick for sheriff. And they realized that. And so we had four sheriff candidates come up to my place, Area 101. And it went so well that we did a runoff. We had about 500 people watching this thing, talking with cannabis people about how they were going to interact with us and how they were going to deal with us fairly. And so we had a runoff and we got Tom Allman elected. The district attorney loved it so much that they had a runoff and uh, we had two there. So in the course of six months, we had four major uh, gatherings between law enforcement, sheriffs and district attorneys with our community. We got the sheriff Tom Allman elected and he was sheriff for 13 years. Right after that, we created a program called the 9.31 program, 
which was the first program in the country before any state went legal, where you could grow up to 99 plants legally with the permit from the sheriff's department. Now, like I said, everybody was growing under the shade and the trees hiding from the cops at that time. And the sun-grown bud wasn't very good. That's why most people preferred indoor. They were like, ah, oh, sun-grown is not very good because it was in the shade. It was hiding out and it wasn't getting much sun. Mm. Now you could grow in full sun and get huge plants, 99 of them with the sheriff's permit by paying about $7,000 and these fees. So the second year, we had almost 100 people in the program, and we gave $700,000 to the sheriff's department, and they were going to have to lay off a bunch of sheriffs, and we actually saved all those layoffs and helped the sheriffs actually keep their department together that second year. Trouble with it is, the feds saw this, and they came in and busted the lead guy in the program. I was number two, and uh, they said if we gave out one more permit in the county, they would arrest the sheriff, the board of supervisors, the district attorney, and everybody. And that's when they got to see just who the feds were. Tom Allman did a press conference where he said, I'm giving you intel on these cartel grows in the woods, but they're using chemicals and they're all drug lords. And you're coming and busting my legal people that are providing money for the sheriff's department. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah. And if you do one more of those, we'll arrest you too, Tom. And he was like, wow, now I see who you guys are. Mm -hmm. So it was a really, uh, really major point. And so we had to go hide and then right after that, Colorado and Washington went legal. And then right behind it, California came back. So very interesting historical turn of events. Hmm. So tell us then uh, about the founding the Emerald Cup. Uh, obviously, I believe it's is it, it's 19th year you're going into this year? Or was that last year? It's 19th year. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I, I was growing that indoor from the 90s into the early 2000s. And then I had a couple close calls. And I realized I was going to have to shut that down. And uh, I own this property right on the highway, 150 acre campground called Area 101. And you drive by it and there's a life-size, you know, full-size billboard with a UFO hand-painted landing in the forest. And you see a marble Christ and a 1500 pound Ganesh statue and all the buildings are murals and a 6,000 pound Buddha. And so it's, they got a couple of stages. So it's a very alternative event center that we do a lot of trans parties, and electronic parties and a lot of things there. Well, I had some friends come to me and said, you know what, we all, we're talking about it. And I brought it up that it'd be nice to have a celebration of the fall harvest. Like you see, we have county fairs in every one of our counties in this country. And at the end of the year in the fall, they do these celebrations of the fall harvest and everybody brings their, their vegetables and their produce and the animals and all the stuff there. And we, they have contests and it's, it's a celebration of the fall harvest. And so it's like, why can't we do one of those for cannabis? High time wasn't there. Uh, nobody was doing anything in the country at the time. They were like, you're out of your mind. People go to jail for 15 years still for this. And we said, well, we're just going to do it. Now, we disguised it as a birthday party for two of my friends. We didn't put any posters out. It was way underground. Most people thought we'd get busted. People showed up in mass. And we got away with it. Nobody even knew. It was a very small party, a couple dozen entries, about 300 people. And uh, we pulled it off. So the next year, we put a little poster out that we put on the backwoods, you know, you know, uh, billboards and whatnot, not anything in public. And it became big. It went from a couple hundred people to like a thousand people overnight. We had an all night party, all the psychedelic party from midnight on. If you stayed up all night, you got a survivor's breakfast. You got a free breakfast. It became known as survivor's breakfast from there on. Uh, we had all kinds of people come in for that. And it really kind of took off from there on. Uh, you know, it was really amazing to see the evolution from there on. Mm, that That's lush. I love that. Um yeah, that that that's that's cool. Um, so that would have been when when was the first one? Two thousand and first one was two thousand and four. 
we came out with that second one in 2005. We did our first, we, we couldn't do a hash contest because you go to prison for 10 or 15 years for that too. And you couldn't sell seeds because over a thousand seeds was a 15 year prison sentence. That was part of that minimum mandatory stuff. So they really held the genetics down and they kept all the concentrates down because people were really afraid. Well, that second year, some of my friends were in the corner doing something that looked kind of shady to me. They looked up at me. I didn't know what they were doing. I walked over there and looked in there and they were pulling on kind of an illegal hash contest in the middle of our illegal flower contest. And I couldn't, I couldn't say that. I let them get away with it, even though it was a lot of risk. And so that was technically our first hash contest. Uh, but we started out with just one flower contest, personal use, no vendors. It was just a party, mm. you know? And then a friend of mine, Ringo Lawrence, showed up. He's a famous guy up here, passed away. God bless him. He brought all the CBD strains in. And he was selling seeds kind of under the table. And my, my partner, MC, came and threw him out and said, you can't sell seeds. We can go to jail for 15 years. And he left and he was all butthurt. And then I found out who it was and I got together with him and apologized later on. And the next year we let Ringo slip in and do that too. So we slowly brought the seeds in and the CBD and one contest after another. And uh, that was 2004. The election for Tom Allman was 2006. So three years later, I, I did the elections with Tom Allman. And that's when the Emerald Cup started really getting bigger and bigger. Wow. So the the situation that you developed with with tom uh and that model that so that was based on prop uh which one came first Six, 64 well, no that was 64 didn't come oh, till 10 two, years later sorry, was, two, sorry 215 215 there was a decrim law in california through 215 but that didn't set up really for sales it made that you could move stuff through medicine but it wasn't outright sales so we were still working within that model and uh it was interesting you could have a dispensary in California and sell cannabis, but you couldn't legally grow it and sell it. So it was kind of like, where was all this stuff coming from? Well, it was coming from the indoors and the hills and everywhere else. So we just went to Tom and said, let's cut the crap. Give us a permit. We'll pay for it. We'll grow full sun. We'll sell it to the dispensaries and we'll evangelize for sun grown right, rightfully. And he was like, great. What he did right then, I can't thank Tom Allman enough. He basically was the first political person in this country, a sheriff, no, no less, that said, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to do this. I'm going to just put my ass on the line and I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do. And the whole county went behind it and we did it. And uh, it was an amazing process. Wow. wow. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Um, we're seeing these kind of spaces operating now in, in around the world that are emulating that kind of model and what you did there of the community working with police to circumnavigate politicians because they're it's too slow the systems are too corrupt they're too interested in making their money from it we've seen that by the iterations of various legal equus legalization systems and legislation that we've seen implemented around the world that it's always about them getting paid first our access and our freedom is secondary if at all considered um and yeah how has it changed then um well in mendo in california in general since sort of transitioning from 215 onto prop 64 uh because from the people that i've spoken to that helped build it the people that were a victim to it and even some of the people that temporarily benefited from it all say it was a pretty shitty transition our governor newsom in california came up to the emerald triangle and got together with all the elders like myself and Prop 64, which was our initiative to legalize in California, spelled out very clearly that you could not have more than one acre for five years being grown in the state on a property. Because if you did, 
you were going to kill off all the small farmers who couldn't grow that much. So everybody had to grow an acre or less. And it was all agreed upon to protect small farmers for five years so that they'd have a chance to get their businesses in order, to get their farms in order, to or to segue out or do whatever. Two months into 64, Gavin Newsom, and he was a Democrat, went against that policy with Steve D'Angelo and a bunch of people, and he opened up large-scale farming. And immediately, flat land and the farmland down in Salinas went from 20,000 an acre to 80,000, and Mendocino property started collapsing. And it took a few years for it to build ahead of steam for all those big farms to get going. It really was started off with five, 10 acre farms. Now you've got 100 acre farms down in Santa Barbara and in the coastlines and in the San Joaquin Valley. You got these, you got one farm growing as much as all of Mendocino. Mm. So the prices have collapsed. We, you know, those farms didn't have to, I mean, the big farms that were traditional didn't have to get do anything to prepare to grow cannabis. Every farmer in the triangle had basically built their houses illegal. They didn't have their roads illegal. Their septics weren't legal. They had to go back and work with the building departments and say, okay, you've got to get all this stuff legal now. And you got to work with the fish and game and make all your water systems legal. And you got to work with the, well, the uh, labor boards and you got to do all this stuff to get up to speed. So it took years for all these farmers to get all their buildings to code and all their water and their roads and everything. In the meantime, all these big farms down South just fired up. And the next thing you know, several years later, all of a sudden you're watching pounds go from 1200 to 800 to 400. And, you know, it costs 450 for a small farmer to grow a pound and they're selling it for 400. So they're losing 50 bucks a pound. And that's before the tax as the well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do the math. It's impossible. They're not even taking any money. Most of them were just hanging on. And over the last couple of years, you you've lost probably 75% of them have gone bankrupt. The, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a road called Spy Rock behind me, which is in Mendocino County, and it's the most infamous outlaw road in Mendocino. It goes up about 10 miles and back. There's about 250 farms back there. It was the heart. When they brought the uh, military in into Mendocino, they landed at the Spy Rock School. There's only 25 farms being lived on back there now. The other 200 plus farms have gone bankrupt and they're not even living there. They can't afford to live out there because there's no way to pay their way of life. Without cannabis, how do they live out there in the middle of nowhere? So you've seen an extinction event in the Emerald Triangle and around the state of these farms being deserted. And the crazy thing is, where did all these outlaws put their money? Over 10 or 20 years, they couldn't, when they made their money, they couldn't put it into the, into the banks. They couldn't put it into, you know, real legal things. So they put it in their ranches. So they had all these beautiful ranches that were worth like a million or a million and a half dollars. And now they're only worth a half million because nobody wants them. Mm -hmm. So their life savings are all gone too. Yeah, it's, it's a concept that I try and highlight here in the UK and Europe of, of cultural erasure, of a co-option of our way of life, that they will speak our language, they will you know use our slang, they will even try and dress like us, act like us. But they are trying to use this as another tool. It's another cost to beat us out of our way of life to coerce that conformity as you say to go if you want to participate we need to know everything about you you have to file these forms you have to be you know surveilled you have to have these people come and check your farms and check check the work of people that have been doing it for 20 30 years providing far superior products than that which is commercially available via these as you say monocropped farms and it's i often speak of this this concept of love and it's in a quite abstract pseudoscientific sense 
the the best weed I've ever smoked from around the world, wherever I've been, is the small grow by the guy that loves it or the woman that loves it, the person that, that, that loves it, that tends to it, that cares for it, that puts that into it. And we, we can't quantify that in science yet. We can't understand what it is, but there is something to it that is lacking soul, spirit, substance. You can taste this mass manufactured, whether it's coming from the criminal marketplace or from uh the pharmaceutical conglomerates uh, or these these big llc's uh, that we're seeing pop up in various regions that there's something extra missing to it that we ourselves we we cultivate our own plants we trade amongst ourselves and as you say we create that lifestyle that community and that can't be sold to us that can't be prescribed to us that can't be given to us that's something that we developed in opposition to to their tyranny to their their fucking acts of terror frankly against us as a population uh so it's it's very disturbing to me that kali as a concept is held up around the world as this is the model and they're still romanticizing this older model that you, yourself and others helped set up you know with 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 dennis perrin and that managing to actually gain the kind of ground that was gained in 96 for the, for the law change and the mmj cards and all the rest of it that legacy is 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 being shat on because it's being erased we're not the we promised these freedoms to um you know be able to live our lives our way and all they've done is is find a way to coerce us into conforming to exactly what they want in order to continue doing what we were doing illegally anyway you know they're like i said they're so masterful at what they do for the cannabis people up here they made a law that if you had a cannabis farm you couldn't have a weapon to defend yourself now people are living up here where i do in the middle of the mountains there's bears and mountain lions and you know pigs and stuff you have to have weapons just to keep yourselves and your kids and families protected from the animals alone but then you got robbers coming in. And now if you have a gun, you're going to jail for five years on a legal cannabis grow. So you can have a legal cannabis grow, but you can't protect yourself and you from, from robbers or from animals. And it's like, what kind of shit is that? Now you see in this country, we had the Second Amendment. We had the freedom of speech. We also had the freedom to have weapons. And now they're trying to take that away. They're making you register these weapons so then they can get your ID in your house and everything else. And then they come over and do searches at your houses anytime they want. And it's just like what they're doing in England, where they're, they're taking it so we're losing our ability to have our freedom of speech, uh, the right to not trespass us, the right to illegal searches, every bit of it. But they really went after the cannabis people and uh, they got them from all sides. And they have just, uh, I did a podcast with Farmer Tom yesterday and the, and the depression amongst everybody uh, because everybody's just watching their way of life going, what do they do? You've been a cannabis farmer for 20 or 30 years. What do you do now? You've been on this ranch in the middle of the Emerald Triangle for three decades. Now you haven't got a job. Your land's not worth anything. Where do you move? Where do you do? I mean, it's it's really uh, the suicides and the depression and the divorce and the abuse and what they've done to it, the PTSD, what they have done to the Emerald Triangle and farmers around this state is so uh, sadistic and uh, evil uh, you know, they're, they're going to really pay some karma, you know, when they, when they have to face their maker and deal with this stuff because of what they've done to all these people, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I've taken some heat because I evangelized for 64 prop 64, the legalization, but I did because they promised no farming larger than an acre for five years, but they also set it up so that mainstream people can embrace cannabis 
and people wouldn't go to prison for long-term prison sentences. And that stopped. People aren't going to prison for long-term prison sentences and mainstream people across the state and the country are embracing cannabis. So on that note, excuse me, we did what we needed to do, but we just took about a quarter of a million farmers and families that built this industry for the last 40 years and we destroyed them. We destroyed their families and their lives. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. And that's exactly what tr sort of trying to articulate um, to my audience to understand sort of when we come to, to fight for what we want to fight for, to understand what has happened in other regions and understand the implications of wanting certain models. Um, it's interesting, as you were speaking there, it reminded me of something I read in The Guardian yesterday, which is a link I'll share uh, in the bio below. Uh, a ban on, uh, I hate how even The Guardian used the word marijuana. Ban on marijuana users owning guns is unconstitutional. Uh, an Oklahoma judge has ruled that a federal law prohibiting people who use cannabis from owning firearms is unconstitutional. So th there is movement in some regions to challenge these things, because again, it's the more normal, as you say, that cannabis becomes and the more normalized, the more people go, well, yeah, why can't they do that? Well, I now smoke cannabis. What do you mean I can't do that? People are starting to yeah, question those systems. And again, America's lucky in the sense that you guys have um, citizen initiative ballots. You guys can get together and go, oh, we don't agree with this shit. And you can actively engage in that system. We as Brits, we we really don't. We have had no active democracy in this country for the entirety of my lifetime. I don't know that there ever really has been, to be honest with you, under a monarchy. How can there be? Um, so I do hope to see, you know, movements in 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 the states as we are, and in, in some of them to kind of walk back the more restrictive elements of these legislation, and to again try to go back to listen to the legacy individuals, the people that built this. I don't want to see another fucking CEO from a multinational conglomerate speak of legacy and speak of honouring, you know, the people that came before them because their entire industry is built on the bones of the people that, I'm not going to say they murdered, but in this analogy, they did. Um, you know what I mean? They're, they're stood on the graves of the people that have been destroyed by their actions and for them to be now in places like i don't know if you've seen in oregon a proposed legislation to make it 10 years minimum for 99 plus plants yeah you know what it's crazy but when you look at it the thing with the initiative process is in california like prop 64 you get because i was part of the founding of that you start off with a really good initiative but then you realize that to make it pass it's a fact that you need 35 million dollars in in campaign funds to be able to convince people to join it and do it because the other side is going to tell people that they're going to lose their lives and you're going to have cannabis crazy people all over your, you're going to smell it all over your yards and all this stuff. So you got to get $35 million and you got to get the sign off from everybody. So then you start having to compromise. And so then you compromise with all these different people and groups and you take one part of the initiative out and you get rid of this part of it. And so in California, the initiative came where every city and County could make their own rules. So some counties are dry counties and some counties aren't. We had 10,000 dispensaries, cannabis stores at one point. Now there's a thousand because all these different counties and, and cities banned it. And so and some counties and cities let all the illegal dispensaries run right over all the legal ones and destroy them that way. So you kind of look at it and you go, wow, the thing with legalization and with initiative is you've got to make sure you have enough power so you don't have to compromise with all that. And the thing you said about Oklahoma is really good because people in, where you're at probably don't realize Oklahoma is a little state in the middle of the country with a couple million people, a very conservative, Republican, you'd consider it rednecky kind of a state, right? 
but they turned around and legalized cannabis and they didn't put all the, the taxes and regulations and all the crap we did in California. They said 2,500 bucks and you can have a permit to grow and you can grow whatever you want. And all of a sudden, everybody from California and all over the country ran there. And in three years, they were growing so much pot in Oklahoma. You hear about Oklahoma pot all over the country. And it was cheap and easy. People had no problem starting up. They didn't have anybody coming after them. They didn't have to go through all this track and trace and regulations and stuff. And they could sell it legally. And they, they could also sell it under the table, black market style. So they wiped out all the their traditional black markets. And they also took it legally. And all of a sudden, Oklahoma, that little redneck state, blew away the big, giant California liberal state. And it's amazing when you think of California being this the sixth largest economy in the world, this wonderful presentation of liberalism at its best. And what have we done? We've done worse to the cannabis people ever. We've done worse to the inner cities and the poor people. We've taxed ourselves more than any state in the world. We have more homeless problems than anybody. We've taken away all the rights to guns and laws and everything else. COVID was heavier here than anywhere. And it's really, we turned into the most liberal but in our own way conservative repressive state in the country mm -hmm. california did yeah it's it's amazing to to look at that and again it's further evidence towards this uh, how ridiculous and absurd this left-right divide is that it's it's not about the classic archetype ideas that were ascribed to liberalism to libertarianism to capitalism etc to these conceptual ideas that most of us operate in they're so corrupted by money and by this nepotistic connectivity of, of corrupt cronies that they own and operate everything. And as you said, that's it's it's capitalist capitalizing. You know what I mean? It, it's it's how that system operates. And it's I'm trying to create groundswell in the UK and trying to understand how we can truly have a grassroots movement because we're not facing one enemy on one front anymore. We're facing an enemy in prohibitionists and the classic kind of, you know, or skunk psychosis, cannabis makes you crazy, it's addictive and it'll destroy your lives kind of arguments that are being presented by our, you know, mostly boomer uh, generation uh, media people and politicians and think tank individuals. Um, and yeah, the, we have to get this kind of push that if we can get the plant decriminalized for the people, it almost doesn't matter what the legal system looks like. Do you know what I mean? If the, then there isn't the incentive that everyone needs or can create a legal profit or whatever else, if everyone can become sort of self-sufficient in the first instance, anything that flourishes after that is not for necessity. Do you know what I mean? Whereas there are a lot of people that I know in the UK that grow and survive off growing. As you said, they live that almost Mendocino life. They are off grid, so they don't claim benefit or anything like that. They're not attached to the system they live sort of within it as in they pay their bills and everything else and they're otherwise law-abiding citizens but they operate within that sort of cannabis space and i fear for them when if and as far as the tories are concerned legalization does come to the uk and it is this kind of canada plus california on meth and it is just this insane system of taxation regulation cronyism nepotism and not nobody from the legacy industry gets into that space i agree with you completely i've got some friends into the decrim movement for psychedelics and i've told them they want to know whether to go decrim or go full legalization and i said don't go legalization until you can control the narrative 
until there's enough people that are not going to allow it to be done that way. Because if you go that way, you're going to lose total control like Canada and the, and the U.S. has or California has. Uh, we'd have been better off just staying as decrimmed because we could have sold through the dispensaries and sold through the medical side and had a lot more rights and never had them come after us like they did. So for us, I would look back and say that we'd have been better off uh, going decrim. Although again, people stopped going to prison for long-term jail sentences and we were able to really open up the whole country. So in the greater picture, it was the best thing that could be done, but you got to be very, very careful with it because uh, it's something else. You look at our country with Joe Rogan, uh, Elon Musk, you know, lots of good liberal people that are now becoming Republicans because they're watching what's going on. And they're like, wow, the Democrats and the liberals are worse than the Republicans. They're more repressive than the Republicans, mm. you know, and it's crazy to see that it's turned upside down. It's like the whole world is turned upside down. And, you know, there's a lot of things with conservatives that I don't agree with. Um, but overall, I look at a lot of the things of like freedom of speech, uh, the right to carry weapons the right to use cannabis in any form you want to. Uh, the Republicans want to pass a cannabis federal legalization with less taxes than the Democrats. The Democrats want to tax the crap out of us. And it's like, look, you're already taxing the crap out of us. You can't take anymore. There's nothing more to take. You're, you can't squeeze blood out of a turnip. And so it's really uh, it's a fascinating thing to see uh, politics and the way it's gone, especially with cannabis. But uh, there's nothing that's going to stop it. Psychedelics are going to come right behind it. And we're going to be fine over the next uh, five years, because just like I said, the whole package is collapsing right now mm. and uh, we're going to take back our world. And once they do this and they get rid of the Federal Reserves and they get rid of the central banks and they get rid of these repressive laws and uh, and police forces, we're going to be able to do pretty much what we want. I mean, it's going to be more like a libertarian environment where as long as you're not hurting anybody else, you can do whatever you want. As long as it's not impacting other people and you're not doing anything to hurt anybody else and it's all fair, then people can agree upon it because for the most part, what is cannabis, you know, unless you're growing pot next to your neighbors and the, and the smell and the smoke is going in there and bothering people, it's like, why should anybody be able to say what people do, whether it's psychedelics or cannabis, you know? And uh, if you want to have weapons, you should. They've proven that the more people that have weapons, the less violence there is. I mean, when you go into somebody's house and they, you know that they've got weapons in there, you're a lot less likely to go into that house than if you know they don't have weapons. Mm -hmm. So it's like criminals have weapons. So you know what? Good people should have weapons too. And I'm not a big gun person, but I'm just saying that it should be the right for everybody to have that. It's We're in an interesting situation. Years ago, I may have disagreed with you on it, but now I look at the militarized police force around me. I walk through train stations where police officers are carrying fully automatic weapons. I see them driving around in unmarked cars, four and five of them armed with fucking multiple guns. They are actively shooting and killing unarmed people in this country. And we don't have a Second Amendment. We have no right to bear arms. We have no right to defend ourselves. And yeah, it's we're in an interesting situation where the individual has never been more attacked. And the previous program of left-right binary so situation happens, it's ran through filter left, filter right, pushed into the people, we're nice and divided, bickering amongst ourselves, the guys at the top that sit and dine in the same dining rooms that are all part of the same clubs, went to the same schools, intermarry and all the fucking rest of it, um, and then dictating and controlling, and that has got so, like, uh, in 
I don't know what the word I'm looking for, it's a mathematical term, but basically it's intercepting and closing at such a rate now that it has to devour itself, as you say, whether it be through this uh, uh, multi-planetary intervention or it be through just a, a general collapse of neoliberalistic capitalism because the model has become so cannibalistic that they're devouring themselves to be trying to get to the first trillionaire without realizing that if we start having trillionaires, that means we have hundreds of thousands of people, not millions, because you can't, it's a finite system. You can't create that liquidity for people to have food and access to, to, to everything else. And this is why I believe that cannabis is that ultimate resource. You know, it's one plant, you clone it, you can have a million plants. Do you know what I mean? It's a self-replicating resource that can feed us, that can that can house us, that can clothe us, that can heal us, that can give us that liquidity financially to participate in these systems around us. You know, there's not all the things that we can develop and grow ourselves and be our own little islands. We have to have this kind of social interactions. And if we're then forced to use cash, cannabis is an incredible way for us to, to generate that amongst ourselves. Because like I said, a lot of the industries that, now exist exist because they were able to capitalize on the criminalization of the marijuana with a h tax act in the 30s in america and all of a sudden all of these industries that were traditionally part of cannabis or were in different ways were then all utilized by people like fucking Ro the rockefellers and that um to push oil and petroleum byproducts into medicine into fuels into textiles into various other sort of products um yeah, while well, cannabis was then demonized and they've come full circle and gone, oh my God, we've poisoned the world and nearly killed everybody. And that's now killing our people. And they're going, ah, let's heal them with psychedelics and cannabis, but let's put a price limit on it. So none of those poor people, I don't want poor people, homeless people suddenly having revelatory experiences and deciding to fight for their rights. You know what I mean? I want my kid to microdose LSD to be more productive in Silicon Valley so we can make more microchips for the war machine. That's that's the good citizen idea that's presented to us versus this dirty, self-sufficient hippie. And when actually you look at the planetary impact, when you look at the the lifestyle, the quality of that lifestyle, that dirty hippie is a lot more happy and a lot more well-adjusted than that guy running through the mill of that system that is just there to be a cog to perpetuate, as you said, the military industrial complex, the pharmaceutical industrial complex, any of these multinational uh industries that have become basically run by four or five groups you know that they, they are these cabals that, that dictate everything that occurs within their their sphere of influence yeah well you know we didn't have to cut all the trees down in this country we didn't have to destroy all of our topsoil we didn't have to use cotton which is a heavy pesticide needing substance where hemp doesn't need anything they did that. I mean, everybody goes back in history. I mean, hemp has been used throughout every society for clothing, for sales, for every part of their cultures. And we basically took that off the table and went to, to petrochemicals and to cotton and used the petrochemicals to kill everything so cotton could grow, which destroyed the soil. It was really just a, a sick, selfish thing to do, which we didn't have to do. And it's it's all collapsing right now. We'll go back to all that hemp. We'll go back. We need the hemp manufacturing plants, what they're going to start building in this country right now. We need to basically get those plants together so we can start developing all these rare products. They're even making planes out of hemp now. I mean, they're going to show that we didn't need any of this stuff. And hemp is like, it remediates the soil, cleans it up. It needs very little uh, nutrients to grow really well. I mean, it's just an amazing product in itself. So, um, it's coming out now. They kept it from us as long as they could. Their time's up. Uh, the global elite that you're talking 
talking about. They started to control the world in the 30s through that, through the uh, Great Depression, taking over the monetary systems and creating the central banks. But then uh, with the ET thing, they stepped it up into a whole other level and really changed the whole number from there on. And they really did a number on us. But uh, cannabis, I keep saying it, it's the one thing they couldn't get control of. It's the one thing that they didn't suppress and they tried and it just basically popped out all over the place. And now you're seeing it come back with psychedelics and they hate it, but they can't stop it. And so it's done. You know, they were going to put that digital dollar in place and uh, like, you don't have any weapons in Europe. You're right. You guys are already wrapped up because you have no weapons in our constitution. Our forefather, our founding fathers said, look, there's going to come along a time when we're going to need these weapons because we're going to have repressive governments. We have to rebel against again, just like we just did right now with the England English. And so we have to keep weapons. And so they made it strong in our constitution and they're trying to take that out every day in this country. But places like Oklahoma, those conservative places are like, you're not taking our guns. You come into Oklahoma and try to take our guns. We'll shoot all of you. So they're not going to do that. Basically New York and California were, symbols of how they were going to run the rest of this country and the world where they were going to take our rights away take our freedom of speech away take our weapons array control the cannabis control everything and uh, vaccinate us to death and then spit us out through the pharmaceutical industry and just chew us up and get new ones and uh it's wonderful to see i'm so excited about the uh the near future people are i mean we're almost in a world collapse economically which they were planning on doing they were going to collapse the world economically start civil war throughout all these countries have us all kill each other and basically stand back in their bunkers and wait for it to happen but that's not going to happen the good people of the world needed everybody to really see how bad it was so they'd finally wake up mm. and people are finally waking up and going our leaders aren't good people these are not good people i don't care which country we in none of them are good and it's time to just get rid of all of them. And that's what's going to happen. We're going to have that revolution. We're going to get rid of all of them. And we're going to take back our countries and our world. And we're going to unite. Mm. Yeah. Because in the end, it's all about division. Yeah. And it's come from this, whatever it's sort of been termed as, again, quite a conscientious, uh, controversial term of sort of new world order over the decades of just this, this power concentrates, as we spoke of before. It's a natural consequence of hierarchical um structures that they taper off to a point of such extremity that it becomes totalitarianism it becomes authoritarianism it becomes uh this this restrictive and repressive thing and it's that's what the, the modern neoliberalistic politics machine has become under capitalism it's began to eat itself as you say and everyone else because of innovation technological innovation is becoming surplus to requirement so whether by intention or not, yeah, it seems they're allowing sort of in this country, our healthcare system to collapse, obviously, without getting too controversial, because this will be on YouTube, and I don't want to end up with my fancy little banner on the bottom and getting too much trouble for talking about the Rona. Um, but yeah, as we're starting to see now with in the UK, um, a woman has been given compensation for a death, her partner being killed on record, stating that they died from complication of the vaccine. So this is opening up those kind of conversations uh i obviously don't want to get sort of into too much of the, the echoes conspiracies around these things um as i said for for risking getting the, this video and that removed from from the internet because we don't really have all that much free speech we like to believe we do as you say but it, again it's it's that yeah. that that illusion um so 
there are people now, as you say, coming and challenging that. And to me, I thought when the Sacklers were called out with Purdue Pharma and what happened with Oxycontin, I was like, all right, the pharma pharmaceutical system is going to get dealt with. And it hasn't. Then Biden comes out and screams, you know, we've beat pharma. And they're giving however many hundreds of billions is, is still going in subsidies towards it. It's 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 an, ins, an, an insanity. And they're now pushing for 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 mandatory vaccination um, and passports. And, and they're saying it's not mandatory. But when they're cutting us off, like you alluded to before, like China is where if you have a low credit, your score is low. You physically the doors don't open for you to get on the train. You don't get to go in spaces. You can't book the flights. You can't, you know, access certain things if you're not an airport sort of good citizen. And that coercion, that level of coercion, I think, came to a culmination during the lockdowns. You know, it started well-intentioned at the start, I think, for a lot of people going, yeah, yeah, we'll go along. We don't know what the fuck's happening. But that timeline and that narrative got very messy very quickly. And I think, as you said, most people now are so disenfranchised and so distrustful of any authority that they just don't know what the fuck to think and this is leaving so many people politically homeless and i think this is why you're seeing as you say like the rise of the the new media the rise of podcasting obviously it's been rising for, i say rising for a long time the, the uptake of it exploded during covid because people suddenly couldn't you know sit around in pubs and have these conversations you couldn't get, get into your mate's house you couldn't socialize in the same way and it's really created this uh safe i don't want to say safe space but this space in media where we can at least try and allude to these topics and have these kind of conversations and that is enough that i think people are going all right we need to you know stop this get the fuck together figure out what's happening and then yet yeah, move forward and i think they're never going to report on it anyone that's still watching the mainstream press they'll never see the revolution because it will never be televised by the mainstream media it will be podcasted it will be youtubed and blogged you know and shared on snapchat chat and tiktok and all the rest of it but we saw we just had uh, over half a million strikers marching through london the other day basically fuck all the mainstream press they had a, a march for the those that had died from complications of the vaccine and and uh sort of everything that was going on that wasn't ever covered they're, they're just not reporting what the people are doing and so people are feeling so sort of disenfranchised and i think like as we've kind of spoke of in this one of the main points i want hope people will take away from it is that asking them to give us freedom is redundant and ridiculous that can't be done we can't say, oh please get your boot off me no we have to lift the fucking boot off and stand up in, in a metaphorical sense, I'm not as a call to violence, but ultimately, as JFK said, you know, those who make a peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. And I feel we're on the precipice of this. And I say that as a pacifist, I'm, I'm you know, worried for this transitional period, because as, as I've said before, whether it is through uh, other interventions or it is organically grown from the communities forward, I think they're not going to want to give up that control, that power. Do you know what I mean? It's they've lived lavish, godly lifestyles. They've acted like demigods on earth while we've been subservient to them. Uh, that's uh, that's well said. I'll tell you what, it's exactly what's going on. And I've heard that there's a thousand lawsuits right now already in your country over uh, wrongful deaths. It's going to be over a trillion in lawsuits. Uh, uh, Pfizer's already looking at over three trillion in lawsuits. It's going to take down all the pharmaceutical companies. Did you see the uh, the Pfizer video on Veritas? 
on Project Veritas. Yeah, the uh, the guy uh, in the restaurant. The guy the executive, the guy mm. in the restaurant. Then what happened was the senior executives in Pfizer had an email chain talking about how to get by this and suppress it, not arguing that it wasn't true, but how to get around it and cover it up. And one of the execs, what's happening now is they all know it's falling down. So they're all starting to leak stuff so that they can not be in trouble. So one of the execs leaked the email between just the senior VPs out talking about them trying to cover this up. And that went out global too. That that video in this in the restaurant has over 35 million views already. It's gone viral worldwide. So people are now realizing exactly what happened and it's all going to fall down and they're all going to get tried for it. So it's going to take out the medical establishments. It's going to take out the who it's going to take out the media who covered it up. It was the biggest promotional marketing campaign in the history of anything in the world to shove that down our throats. Mm -hmm. And basically most good people took that jab, at least one of them. But, uh, you know, God bless anybody that did. And I hope they're okay, but they're proving very scientifically just how many people, every jab you took, how much more susceptible you were to infertilization, uh, lack of testosterone, heart issues, lung issues, blood clots, brain damage. I mean, everything you could, they had a little mix in there for everybody, a little time release. So it's it's crazy, but uh, it's all falling down. Even CNN, you're seeing it on CNN, our, our network here that was, uh, they're even talking about how they overstated. In our country, every COVID death uh, got $75,000 from a hospital. The first year, the second year was 50,000. So a person comes in on a motorcycle accident, tore two of his legs off, but he had COVID. He was dead because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Hospital gets 75 grand. So they set up a system where it was like every hospital was encouraged and paid off because which hospital is like, well, it doesn't really matter what how he died, whether it's COVID or a motorcycle accident, we get 75 grand. Mm-hmm. So they're now admitting how overstated that was and how they took all the flu. I mean, it's, it was such a masterful thing that they did. Um, again, these people are real pros at what they do. And that's taken down. It's a psychological manipulation. Sorry, go on. Well, I'm just saying that, that thing with Pfizer, that was taken down off YouTube and off every other site. But Elon Musk kept it up, and that's where it's got those 35 million views. Mm, I think and so that's, that's an example of, you know, We've taken it over. You've got Parler, you've got True Socials, you've got Twitter, you've got everybody like you, and they can't suppress stuff anymore. There's, it's coming out I, too fast. Yeah, I think it's still up on Rumble. Um, yeah, Rumble too. Yeah, Rumble yeah. too. A few, and, of the, a few of the alternative sites. So, so it's it's interesting that, yeah, as you say, that we're in this point of active suppression and censorship and this narrative coercion and control um to make sure that we, we're doing the right things because yeah as you say there's so many narratives that here in the uk for example that we never quite explored i remember actively sitting um and listening to radio one one morning and hearing them declare on the news that they think one in four tests is faulty and will give a faulty positive that was never mentioned again from that point onward as you said there was a i think 2021 was the year we didn't have flu somehow nobody got the flu because all of the flu people were then classified as, as COVID. And so, yeah, in America, I know that the narrative now is it's coming out of the overestimation and what they're claiming is that or stating that they died with COVID, not from COVID. And that's, 
yeah, kind of where where we're at with it is that they, as you say, managed to manipulate the data and use fear. I mean, now you you hear the the news agents, uh, sorry, the the news and the sort of agents of authority in the system, um, basically stating that oh, we never said that. We didn't say that you know you shouldn't have your health care removed and you shouldn't be allowed to to be out in the general population if you haven't had uh, a vaccine. When that's actively what they did, they had pundits on TV say that people were scum if they chose not to get the vaccine. When Pfizer and these other companies, I guess I'll say allegedly at this point because I don't know what's confirmed about it, was stating that, that they knew it didn't affect transmission. You had, you know, people like presidents and prime ministers around the world stating that do this to protect your granny. And we now know it doesn't affect transmission. There were just so many of these these lies and this bullshit that was put in front of us that, as I said before, it's left so many people disenfranchised and not understanding kind of what to believe, where to stand and just hypercritical of, of everything around us. Uh, you know what? If you go back and look, they gave the um politicians and the people that made the vaccine all those companies they gave them all passes on taking the vaccine nobody in our country all the politicians didn't have to take it and none of the uh, families for all the uh pharmaceutical companies they all got um waivers they know exactly what they're doing um and it was that's why everybody's part of it i mean this is going to basically take it all down What's starting right now with the thousand lawsuits, what I've heard is in our country, the United States, there's going to be a million lawsuits. Okay. They're going to, it's going to be $50 trillion in lawsuits and they're going to sue the politicians. They're going to sue the media companies. They're going to sue everybody that shoved that down our throats because they had no right to do it. It was an experimental drug. It had never been tested. Have you seen the information coming out? They fought to have the release. They tried to suppress the testing for 75 years. Uh, what they did for the clinical trials and they lost. So then they fought to only put it out like five pages a year for 20 and they lost that. And so now they're releasing it and people are seeing just from the first 1% of what they've released. It's so diabolical. They knew the heart and lung issues. They knew all the reproductive issues. They knew all this. They knew it when they did this. And so now it's all coming out. So what we're seeing is that they've run out of time. They've either got to start the third world war They've got to start civil wars throughout every country. They've got to basically turn us into everybody divided against each other very quickly or and get that digital currency in there and suppress us all that way, or they're going to be done. And so the chess game's about over, and they know that. So now that's why you see all the rats jumping ship, because they realize that, you know, some of them say, some of them like in, in the pharmaceuticals or what, they're politicians that kind of knew what was going on, but they really weren't like, they have a plausible deniability and they can get out they're the ones coming forward right now because they realize if they don't come forward then they're going to be part of it mm -hmm. so you're going to now see in the next six months so many whistleblowers and people turning everybody in they're going to come just like this guy at uh pfizer that turned that into the project veritas that's because he want to say he wants to say three months from now look i knew it and, and i i i got out okay because he realized they're all going to be they're going to be crimes against humanity They've doubled the size of Guantanamo Bay in uh, Cuba, and uh, they've got a giant prison in Greenland, and uh, they've made these things huge detention centers. In our country, uh, they have about 40,000 federal warrants each year, and they've never had more than 60,000. It's up to 300,000 right now. 
federal warrants because of all these people that they basically tracked for all this. Now, they've already said they won't be able to try and put every one of them in jail because it'd be too much. They'll have to have some type of forgiveness program for some of these people, but all the key people are going to go down. So uh, what we're talking about is going to pop in the next two or three months. Uh, this thing last week with Pfizer is really one of the big things coming out of it. Uh, you're going to see it. J Justin Trudeau can't even go down the street in Canada without being booed and heckled now. My my uh, true seeker people five years ago said, you watch all these politicians, they're going to have to hide. They won't be able to come out of their houses without being heckled. Well, Justin Trudeau can't even come out of his house. George, I mean, Joe Biden can't leave without people giving him shit now. Mm. They're giving shit. John Kerry, they're giving shit to all of them. And they deserve it. Macron, Macron's the same way. They're going after Macron. He's got to stay out of people's way, too. They know what's up. Well, yeah, okay. Yes, yeah, we say like it's people questioning sort of the narratives and looking at like the World Economic Forum and kind of all of their machinations and intentions and what they've kind of been pushing. And it's, as we said, it's the reason I settled on kind of cannabis activism and drugs activism when I was going, all right, I need a direction to focus in with this fight is I believe it's the first step. If we free the people's minds, everything is possible. If you can get the people to see the the strings the, the 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 controllers you know that can see the fucking the bars that restrict them you know if they, they can smell the shit that they're fed perhaps we have an opportunity to 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 overcome this and like as you say i'm quite optimistic in the general sense looking around the world and just seeing more and more of the general kind of your layman on the street just refusing to take this shit the collapse of their traditional sort of archetypal characters, you know, these celebrities and whatever else that they've kept in charge uh, and kept us sort of, you know, following their leads, running through these trends. And people are just wanting to check out of that system now and not be told how to live. Well, yeah, well, you know what? I hear everything you're saying and um, it's really uh, rewarding and, and inspiring to hear you at your age knowing as much as you do. I mean, you really know your stuff. Uh, maybe you're not quite all the way there with the ET thing, but for 90% of this, you're right there. You're one of those people that's like coming out. There's the 100 monkey syndrome, you know, you've talked about forever. You get 99 monkeys or whatever, and all of a sudden, all the whole tribe will change. Well, that's what's happening with spirituality. When enough of us take enough psychedelics, when enough of us touch our higher selves and our inner souls, we're going to affect the whole societies at, at large. When enough of us stand up and say we're done, everybody else is going to stand up with us. So that's the truth right now. We're talking about it. We have to stand up. You can't hide anymore. People have to come out and say their piece. And as more and more people do it, then it's just going to break it all down. And that's where we're at. We're about to crumble those walls down, just like we did in East Germany. We're about to crumble those walls down across the world. I don't think it'll be more than what they're what they're saying now is by summer. Um, in fact, what I read today in uh, Benjamin Fulford, who's a, a very, you know, some people would call him radical, but he used to be the editor-in-chief of Forbes and New York Times out of uh, Asia. And uh, after 9-11, he was told by the Asian mobs that was a, a fake con job. And he looked into it and they showed him all the proof. And so he changed his life and he's been doing a blog and, a, and uh, speaking out ever since then. And so I follow him as one of the people. He came out and, uh, and and just so you know, he didn't want to talk about ETs or some of this radical stuff for a long time. It's like he wanted to kind of stay in the straight and narrow. But over the last couple of years, he's realized it's all tied in together, too. And there's no way to, to separate it. 
Uh, he's now saying that we're going to have a jubilee by June of this year, that they'll actually have cleaned up the mess worldwide enough so they'll be able to forgive all the debt of the world. Nobody will own anything on their houses, their credit cards, their student loans, anything ever will all be forgiven. There'll be a jubilee and we'll have actually taken over that 900 trillion from the elite of the world to start the giant jobs program. And he's predicting that by June. And he's not a he's a he's a conservative guy. He's not a guy that's gone out and really wanted to say a lot of this stuff because he really was talking about some mainstream conspiracy stuff at one time. But it's just gotten larger and larger where you've got to start looking at, uh, you know, ridding the population of this planet and the E.T. thing and a lot of stuff that's much more diabolical. The satanic pedophilia stuff, everything that's come in. And he he talks about it now. And uh, so it's really watching. Uh, it's watching him wake up is really kind of cool, too. But that jubilee is going to come in, whether it's by June or by the end of the year. Uh, we're going to be living in a world that's so different. I mean, think about all these people who are going to have a hard time taking this in once they get told that they're not going to have any more debt ever again that they get free energy for the rest of their lives for their cars and their homes and that they're all going to have great jobs i mean nobody's going to be complaining about that after about three weeks when they go to their bank accounts and realize all their home loans are paid off all their credit cards are done nobody owes anything no more bills oh by the way now power is free they're hooking up power for free we got hydrogen cars and they're going to be like they get med beds where they're all healed you know, your 70-year-old grandparents and stuff, your parents are going to be turned into perfectly healthy people. And they'll, all of a sudden, people are going to go, okay, where do I sign up? This is great. You know, it's all great. I mean, I'll, I'll live like this. They're going to go, yeah, it's nice. Huh? We got rid of the central banks and all the people that control everybody and all the politicians. We got rid of all of them because we don't need them. We, they're not helping us. We got rid of all of them. Hmm. Now we can grow cannabis wherever we want to. We can do whatever we want. You can take psych psychedelics wherever you want. You can do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting anybody, and as long as you're peaceful and you're, you know, not uh, inflicting any type of uh, any type of control over anybody else, because that's what it is. In the rest of the ET world, it's free will, all independence. We're all independently in control of ourselves. Wow, this has been a fascinating podcast, Tim. Uh... Yeah, there's a lot to digest there, my friend. There is a hell of a lot to digest there. I do hope to have this conversation uh, con conversation continue into the future and get you back on uh, when I'm around episode 200 or whatever it is uh, in, in sort of the near future. And I do hope that that is done entirely as a free will exercise from my free-powered podcast. And, and uh, yeah, it's us laughing back at this system. I, I honestly, I would revel to have that i would adore to for that to be the direction of the world i perhaps it's my pessimism and the abuse of my youth and and whatever else my own trauma um but yeah i believe in people i do i really do believe in the power of people and that we can sort of change the world and i do believe that we need some kind of galvanizing moment and whether that be terrestrial or extraterrestrial i do not care as long as it empowers the people to rise up against this system and to take that sovereignty of consciousness and to you know live within the the autonomy of themselves as you said as long as they do no harm to others you know what we have all been so abused in some way or another throughout our lives our parents have been abused our grandparents have been abused we've lived in a very mixed up society and we don't even know what true freedom is like we're going to get a taste of it over the next couple of years and we're going to realize how other people on other planets live. 
where they don't live with any fear. They don't live with anybody suppressing them. They don't live with any worries about their bills or their money or their lives. Everybody lives a good life. There are no trillionaires. There are no billionaires because like in Native American and old tribal societies, anybody that would take more than their share would be considered crazy. The leaders weren't those people. The leaders were the ones that took care of the people. The kings were the ones that served the people. They didn't lord over them. And so we're going to go back to a society where the kings and queens or the people that run these worlds, our world, are going to be the servants of the world. We're going to make sure that everybody has the same. We're all good. We're all taken care of. That's the way tribal societies have always been, and that's what we're going to be. And we're going to all heal ourselves through cannabis and psychedelics and wonderful therapeutic systems, ketamine, all these systems. But you can go in there and get integration, or you can do it on your own. It's all going to come in. We're all going to get in those med beds. Those med beds are also going to heal our psychological issues too. They're going to really help us come back and heal the trauma because it's stuffed into our bodies. They've proven that. You take trauma and you stuff it into parts of your bodies. And that's what psychologists and that's what uh, kinesiologists can use to get it out through muscle testing. But they can do it through the med beds and stuff. And we can do that almost overnight. And that's what they're going to do. And we're all going to be going young or old. are going to be using these med beds to get rid of the PTSD their ailments, their healing, their bodies and minds. And then we're going to be a thriving, wonderful, passionate society that's going to be doing the greatest art and music and discoveries imaginable as we go into the next 20, 30 years. And we're going to be traveling around the universe, meeting all these different people that come from all different walks of life and societies throughout this galaxy and other galaxies. So it's going to come in. You watch over the next few months, you're going to see it all. That Project Veritas thing and the stuff that's coming out so quick and all the things, it, it's collapsing on them so fast that what I'm being told is the only thing they can do is either try to start a nuclear war, a world war, civil wars across the country, or pull the electrical and the internet grids and try to shut it all down and create chaos that way. They're almost out of time. And the good people of the world already know their last chess moves. It's not going to be allowed. Everybody's going to know it. And what they're saying is over the next six months, this is all going to come out. And then these jubilees and all this information is going to start coming to us. So it won't take long for us to see what's real and what's not. So we'll keep in touch and we'll see uh, We'll see which side comes out. Excellent. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah, like I say, I, I, want, I, I want it to happen. You have my backing, sir. Uh, if not, my belief, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's just been a fascinating conversation, Tim. Uh, really enjoyed it. And yeah, just, just want to say thank you for, for, for taking the time and for introducing me to some new, new novel concepts and things for me to go and muse on and, and go, uh, you know, fall down some rabbit holes. Uh, so yeah, it's, I've really enjoyed this. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. It's through education and doing the stuff that you do and we do together. I don't make money. I've lost more money on the Emerald Cup than I've ever made. I'm I'm looking for my greeny points to get to heaven and be in one of those first spacecrafts with go with Elon Musk around the uh, around the stars. So uh, you're going to be there too with the work you do. They're grading every one of us. We're all getting scores, and the good people of this earth are going to inherit it, and we're going to be giving money to be able to do things like they're going to look at what you're doing and all of a sudden you're going to be getting a million dollars so you can build a real first class studio so you can do this right and really teach people and that's what they're going to do they're going to be giving grants all over the world for people like us because that's what should have been happening all along so you watch how much bounty comes to us and how much success and how much validation comes in so keep up the good work let's keep in touch and uh we'll see where it goes over the next few months i think people better be really prepared for some 
very, very revolutionary changes. Do you know, the last thing I'll say is that, I don't know if I said this, but astrologically, I'm also, I, I deal with psychics and healers and I deal with all sides. Astrologically, this is the first planetary alignment in the last 250 something years that's come in. And the last time it came into this alignment, you had the French Revolution and the American Revolution. So all the astrologers are talking about the revolutionary things that are going to take place in the next two years. They're already predicting exactly what we're talking about. And astrologically, it's lined up to be that. Only this time, we won't have to have the French Revolution. We'll be guillotine everybody. We're just going to send them off to Guantanamo Bay and, and Greenland, and they can all just stay there the rest of their lives. And they can live with each other. And we'll just take back this planet and live in peace and harmony with everybody else. So that's going to say, yeah, be they good. They've spent plenty of time building uh, private prisons that can house several million of them. So, yeah, they've uh, made their own bed. Time to lay in it. It's been a pleasure, Tim. I'll include uh, links to your website and to sort of all of the uh, organiz uh, uh, companies that you, you operate with the, the farms, the cup and with Area 101. Um, next time I'm out in California, because I do hope to be out uh, in the States again, definitely going to hit, hit you up here. Want to come to one of your parties and meet some of your people because... Sounds like a very fun evening. Oh, yeah. Come out to our uh, Emerald Cup Awards ceremony, our Harvest Balls. Uh, we go all night. Uh, we, I mean, our last big party at uh, the uh, Harvest Ball, we put out uh, two ounces of ecstasy, uh, a couple of pounds of mushrooms, and five bottles of acid. Uh, we had about 1,200 people running around higher than heck having a great time. The the lady at the, at the Flamingo, this old school uh, hotel, I walked about four in the morning. I walked out to her and I said, are, are you okay? Because she was watching us all flying around with music going on and everything. And she said, you know, I'm cool. We've never seen anything like this, but it looks like fun. And uh, we had this 70-year-old lady that was tripping on us and going, wow, you guys are wild. So you come out and hang with us and we'll show you how, how to do it right. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's make a date. Let's make a date. All right, I'll uh, I'll not keep you any longer. Thank you again for your time, Tim. It's been a it's been a pleasure. Um, yeah, I'll let you sign off now, and I'll do my housekeeping and talk shit and get people to subscribe and all that lovely stuff. So yeah, we'll uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep in touch. Well, this is Tim Blake from the Emerald Cup. You can go to theemeraldcup.com and get information. You can look at uh, my Instagram, which is uh, Blake underscore Mendocino. Uh, you can look at Area One Hundred One events uh, for Area One Hundred One. Uh, on Instagram, Facebook, you can check us out. LinkedIn too. Uh, we're there. I'm writing two books. We're there with my literary agent. I've got a television deal with one of the largest agents in uh, LA. They they represent Will Smith, Keith Richards, Glenn Stefani. It's all about what I'm talking about right now. So I've got a book series coming out. Everybody will see it. And uh, thank you very much uh, for your time and what you do. I look forward to seeing you in person. Likewise, Tim. Likewise. It's been a pleasure. All right. Peace, yeah. love, man. Bye. <laughs> Wow. Wow. You see, I sit down every week in the studio and I never know what conversation I'm going to have. That was not the conversation I expected to have. Um, not to make a judgment on it, positive or negative. Like, that was fucking fascinating. Uh, obviously, the same with every guest, really. There's not all the things that I agree with what, what Tim has said. Um, but it was fascinating to just allow him that opportunity to express his worldview and his his belief around around this system and i'm I'm just i'm fascinated by humans that's why i do this podcast is is what makes us take what what unifies us what divides us what is it to be human beyond all of this superfluous bullshit these labels these 
facades, these games, these abstract systems of restriction? What is raw humanity? And yeah, man, kind of the utopian vision that was sort of presented there um, as I sort of spoke of, whether it be through terrestrial or extraterrestrial means, I don't necessarily care. I, I really don't. It would be cool to know there are aliens. Like I said, I, I do have a I want to believe poster. Um, I guess more so actually because I find Fox Mulder as a character fascinating for this kind of truth seeker, this working to to yeah, expose kind of what is going on in the world. Um, I find him quite a, a relatable character, I guess. And my aliens, I guess, have been truth within the systems. But it's interesting that there are so many people in the world that are of in professional positions that share these these beliefs. Um, and again, this isn't me making a moral or ethical or anything kind of judgment of them. It's just an abstract observation of them. And like I said, they're, they're fascinating in terms of where they are um, kind of solidified in the minds of, of people like Tim, because there is, as I said, interpretable evidence that even as a skeptic like myself could say well actually as i said the acceleration of technology uh the you know the the people from various fields that have moved over various leaks and, and people that have spoke of this for decades now they've dedicated their lives to this space um that yeah it's it's it's, it's fascinating i think i'd actually like to maybe get somebody else on to talk about sort of ufos and stuff because it's not a subject i um ascribe to you know I, I don't i've never really put that much thought into it for i'm a sci-fi fan and i do enjoy like i said the x-files various of the programs and things like that that are based on these kind of conceptual ideas but it's just kind of it's beyond my remit i guess in the sense that my focus has always been the fight i'm in as i've said many times i'm at war because i'm made an enemy of the state by my lifestyle choices by the way i express myself by the things that i need i feel i need to do to control my my physical and mental health to help regulate my spiritual and emotional health um so yeah just 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 fucking fascinating really um i enjoyed that and like i said i do sincerely hope that in six months 12 months tim's back on again and we're sat here and we're going yeah How's your hydrogen, your free hydrogen car? How's all of you know the 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 these riches and luxuries that we we would be afforded? But again, they wouldn't almost be luxury because they'd be standard because it would be all of these sort of you know it's that renewable vision ironically that we were kind of pitched by capitalists through neo the it, like uh, codifying of neoliberalist doctoral uh, doctoral ideas and 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 ideology into modern economic theory through as I spoke of before Thatcherism and Reaganomics. And this kind of deregulation and accumulation of, of money in certain areas. Yeah, I'm struggling to f sort of finish my thoughts because I'm just I'm going over everything sort of that was said. Like I said, there's there's different things that I I don't agree with with what sort of Tim alluded to. There were some points I didn't feel necessary to delve into. Um, but yeah, that that was fascinating. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm gonna wrap up and let you find folk go. Do let me know uh, in the comments if you would be interested in me speaking to more people in those kind of spheres. As I've always said with this podcast, it's about people. It's about stories. Um, I just want to I just want to talk to people. I'm fascinated by people. And obviously, my main remit has been within cannabis and drugs and human rights and different sort of sex work and other things like that. Uh, but I, I, I think I'd like to kind of have some of these these conversations um, just to explore other people's belief, not to 
in the parlance of kind of either neoliberalistic political parties persuasion of you know platforming different people but just having the, these conversations their ideas the, the topic i'm not trying to indoctrinate anybody by anything that we're saying in these conversations we just sat with people each week you find folk come along for the ride and we we have these conversations and I'm seeking truth. I'm seeking awareness, not for any personal gain other than just so my fucking brain doesn't hurt. So I sleep better at night so I can make sense of, of, of the mishmash reality around me. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to explore other kind of alternative topics. I know obviously there's something quite two things, some things maybe too controversial, but I'm not a shock jock. I'm not going to just bring people on for the sake of it. I, it's It's got to be that interest. It's got to have that the side to it so yeah i'm waffling but do let me know if that's the kind of thing um you guys would be interested in because obviously i'm gonna have these conversations anyway i guess but i i want to keep you guys happy because you know this is your uh you're the reason i do this well secondary to the the privilege and pleasure that i get from being able to interact with these people and have these conversations and learn about these fascinating subjects and people's different worldviews it's given me a much more rounded um view and perspective on the world and the people that inhabit it and i'm ever more fascinated so i thoroughly fucking enjoyed that rant over folks uh if you enjoyed this please do like share subscribe uh please do give us um uh follow on all social media platforms as well if you really like this you can check us out on patreon.com forward slash the simple life where you can keep uh, help me keep the lights on on this project for a couple of quid each month you will get exclusive access to guests um as well and other exclusive content um some weeks more than others dependent on the guest and whether we can fit it in but yeah I've been Simba, you've been wonderful, go enjoy yourselves, have fucking fun, be wonderful to each other and prepare for this, this utopia because I'm I'm kind of convinced, I'm not, not saying I believe it, but it's just, it's a wonderful idea and yeah, I think it was Aristotle that said the height of intelligence is to be able to entertain an idea that isn't your own without believing it and I'm thoroughly entertained by the ideas that we've expressed today and I do hope that you'll can I, I guess take it with that pinch of salt that's that's not to lessen tim's position on it as i've said or anything that has been said but just to remember that everything is conjecture ultimately in this world you know there is there isn't the science uh without going back into that whole fucking thing but yeah you know what you're doing fucking go do it peace on the folks. <laughs>